Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Yes, living the dream once again here on a fabulous Sunday, Fox Sports Sunday. We're broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com, we're going to help get you there in unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Richie, how are you on the Sunday morning? Man, we're good. We're good. We're just, um, I'm better than the heat. I can tell you that much. The heat. Don't look like they're going to make it much longer. All right. Now, I need to uh, open up the show today. By the way, uh, we're going to have John Paul Morosi joining us, our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider. All of us give us our, his insights on whether or not the uh, Golden Knights are about to uh, wrap up a first Stanley Cup victory. And, of course, we've got much to talk about as far as the NBA Finals are concerned. Uh, but I want to start with an apology today. Sam, do you have, uh, as uh, Rich and I closed our show last Sunday, uh, Rich, you and I were making our picks for Game 2 of the NBA Finals. That's right. And the Nuggets were 8.5-point favorites. Uh, and uh, you you said, even though you you know try to make a case for Miami, that you know your gut tells you that the Denver's going to cover that spread. Now, as you know, when it comes to making any kind of predictions, uh, usually my track record isn't very good. So this, these are my words, my exact words, as we were closing out last Sunday's show. I'm always wrong, folks. Here it is. I'll lock it. Take the heat. They'll cover the spread. This is Fox Sports Radio. So I, I gave them that, that the heat will cover the spread, knowing that you you should bet against me because I'm never right. So not only did the heat cover the spread, they actually won the game 
outright. Yeah. Um, and so I know a lot of people were just, you know, running, you know, and calling their bookies or whatever and, and putting money down on Denver uh, because I had locked uh, the Miami Heat, and unfortunately for those that followed my lead, uh, you lost. Yes, and that's so right. I, I want to apologize why the Heat actually won that game. I have no clue, Rich, because they haven't shown any signs since then that they should have won any games in this series. It was a freakish fourth quarter in Denver in game two that led to Miami actually salvaging a game. So we're going to have to wait till tomorrow by the way, the scheduling in these NBA finals, oh, I Rich. I mean, what, no games this weekend. we got to wait until tomorrow night to watch the uh, Nuggets wrap up these uh, NBA finals. Um, that just seems crazy to me. Yeah, it's all very silly. I, I don't understand why they're doing that. And I, I don't think it's going to change, unfortunately. I think they, I think they, the league owners or the committee, uh, alongside their network partners, uh have assigned this as the best way to keep traction alive and to buoy their ratings during the finals. I can't figure out why, though. Um, But this is what it is, and like I said, I don't think it's going to go away. In the interim, all we can do is sit here and say, well, with plenty of time to rest and recover, um, with as highly as everybody has been talking about Eric Spolstra as a coach and his ability to scheme opponents, and with the flowers that Jimmy Butler was getting through the majority of the playoffs, including the Eastern Conference Finals, I mean, not only are they getting beat, but I mean, these scores at the end of these games aren't even really representative of the effort. The Nuggets are taking apart Miami. And the Nuggets were in some close contests leading up to the finals here. The finals have been, I mean, outside of game two where the Heat just found their stroke from three-point, especially in that fourth quarter on the road in Denver. Um it just it, the Nuggets have done whatever they've wanted this entire series. I, I think the takeaway, honestly, when this is all said and done, and I, I think we're in accord here to say that we expect the series to be over tomorrow in Denver, um, and we'll get much more into that whole dynamic of what it means for this Nuggets organization and the city of Denver. But a, a lot of people are going to look back on this saying, how exactly did Miami even get to the finals? I mean, they have now lost four straight home games in the playoffs yeah so they lost the last two home games against boston and now they've lost two home games against denver Uh, so you don't see that often on a resume of a team that actually makes it to the nba finals that they concluded with four straight home losses so i I mean i think eric spolstra did a tremendous job to get his team that this far but you know when we look at this denver nuggets team there's there's a lot to be said because, you know, I think back a couple of years ago when the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship. And in some ways, it's a very similar situation to Denver. Like it was a team that, you know, couldn't win the big one, led by a superstar player who couldn't win the big one. And then all of a sudden they had a breakout season and they end up winning an NBA championship. And I know after Milwaukee won, a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, this is just the beginning. Look at that nucleus there, right? They've got Holiday, they got Middleton, they got obviously one of the greatest players at the time. Everyone's like the best player in the league in Giannis. They're going to be back. And a couple of years later, their coach gets fired. 
because they couldn't get back. And so when I'm looking at this Denver team and trying to look into my crystal ball, is this just that one run where everything came together, sort of like the year that Dallas won with Dirk, finally getting a championship? Is that going to be the story here for Jokic and company that, you know, they just got their one? Or is this now a team that is going to be the team to beat? And, it, and and another when we talk about team to beat, in other words, they're the new bar. And I specifically talk about the Lakers here, Rich, because the the Lakers just got eliminated by this team. And he had LeBron James after that final when he was asked about the future, saying that, well, I don't even know how our team is going to look, which was his way of saying the team we have right now isn't good enough to beat that team. Right. So I, I'm just... I'm going to be curious, assuming Denver wins this, especially on Monday, how the le- rest of the league looks at this. Like, is Denver now the bar? Like, that's the team we have to figure out how to beat? Or are they going to be dismissed as a team that, hey, the pieces just finally fell in their place and they're sort of a one-and-done champion? It does have some feel of that Milwaukee Bucks team. Um, Jokic and Giannis are similar players, not the same. Giannis, his game looks different than Jokic, but they are dominant stars on their team. And the the whole offensive success of that team, that franchise, revolves around Giannis. Whereas... You know, if you look at some of the other multiple uh, repeat champions over the years, you you really didn't have that. Yeah, I mean, LeBron is a dominant star in terms of the headlines, but LeBron shares the basketball extremely well. LeBron James would facil- facilitate Dwayne Wade extremely well, Chris Bosh extremely well. You know, you look at his run with the Cavs. I mean, he needed Kyrie. You know, he needed Kevin Love to hit threes for him. When when they won with the Lakers, and, and I don't know if this formula is going to net them another championship, but during the bubble season down there in Orlando, I mean, Anthony Davis, you could argue, was the better player, the more, the more necessary star for the Lakers to win that championship. Now, LeBron James, I'm not trying to say he can't or, or won't be a champion again, um, but he, he definitely needs help. And one of the reasons why is because he, part of his game, part of what makes his game so special is he's a great distributor. Like, I just think that the ship has sailed on, you know, the, the one, the one man band, you know, you can, you can win one. Well, in terms of a dynasty, like you can win one like that. You could win one, one with Jokic doing everything, standing on his head. I mean, Jamal Murray is a very talented basketball player. I don't want to throw water on his game and say, like, Jokic is the only star. But he is. I mean, he's the sun in that solar system. I mean, everything revolves around him. Same way it was with Giannis in Milwaukee, or I should say still is. You know, with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green, yeah, Steph, again, he's the overwhelming star. But the fact of the matter is in Golden State, like, it takes the three of them. Like, you truly need them. Part of the reason why the people, especially Bay Area fans of the Golden State Warriors, will say that the Cavs won that finals was because Draymond got suspended. That's how important he was to those finals runs. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, 
Yeah, listen, there's a firm belief in my mind that you need to have you know, that, that, that high-flying superstar, you know, highlight real player, like that certainly helps. But you need, you need a squad around that player. And I don't know if Denver necessarily has a strong enough team around Nikola Jokic to be a dynasty. I think they're probably a piece or two away from that. Well, Murray obviously is a guy that a lot of people are now going to watch to see, will he take his game from what we've seen here in the finals? Again, he had an off-shooting night on you know, the game four. Friday was a weird game. Miami had a chance here. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, Jokic got hurt, then he got into foul trouble, Murray couldn't make a shot, and then Gordon goes off. So, I mean, I that, that's why there is some intrigue in this Denver team, that maybe they do have enough pieces to be more than a one-and-done champion. Well, much more on the NBA Finals and the aftermath of what's going to happen if, indeed, the Nuggets close it out on Monday. Coming up on the other side, we're going to check in with our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider, also an NHL insider, the great John Paul Morosi will join us. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. 
Steve Harbin, Rich Ornberger. This is Fox Sports Sunday, and we are live from the TireRack.com studios. All right, joining us right now, man that wears many hats, an expert on more things than you and I, Rich, combined. No doubt. He is our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider. He is Mr. Hockey. He is John Paul Morosi. JP, how are you today? Outstanding, my friends. We've got a very compelling Stanley Cup final unfolding. Perhaps the Vegas Golden Knights won game away from their first ever Stanley Cup. We know the Panthers will not go down easily, of course, but uh, with Kachuk's status somewhat in doubt, you've got to think advantage Golden Knights. You've got the Braves playing very good baseball as well, so a lot of great storylines right now. Well, the parallels between the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Final are very similar. You have two teams based in Florida, underdog teams, trying to take down franchises that are looking for their first ever championship what do you think a golden knights victory on tuesday means not just for a very young franchise just in their sixth year of existence but what do you think it would mean for the city of las vegas to actually be the home of a professional team champion Steve, it's an excellent question because I remember years ago when the Golden Knights first came into existence, a conversation that I had with one of the most famous athletes ever from Las Vegas, that of course being Bryce Harper. And Bryce talked about how to him, the Golden Knights were really important to the city because of the fact that they were the first team, the first major league pro sports franchise in Las Vegas. And I really believe that hockey has such a home in that community and has become so special to the identity of Las Vegas because it was first. And I think it's important to credit Gary Bettman and Bill Foley, all that were involved in the franchise being placed there, because you've seen the the city and the community really support it. As both of you know, and all of us who have had the, the pleasure of traveling to Las Vegas in the past in different contexts, one interesting part about it is a lot of people who live in the community don't actually go to the Strip very often at all. They, they either will uh, r- relax in Summerlin or downtown, whatever it might be. But the, the point is it's important that this franchise has given depth and texture to the city's identity to the rest of the country that does not necessarily relate to the the Las Vegas trip and everything that goes into the entertainment, gambling, et cetera. This is a community with a lot of very proud residents. Yes, they certainly rely a lot on tourism in in so many ways, but it is a very proud sports community as well. And and I think you're seeing that pride come through. And Bryce always told me, Steve, one of the most important things was that that was not a relocated franchise. It was a team that was born in Las Vegas. And I think you're seeing that and how the franchise has been supported and what's going to be an extraordinary atmosphere for game five on Tuesday night. JP, I've been looking at the National League standings lately and something sticks out. The New York Mets and the San Diego Padres, both teams that have made, I mean, extreme investments in payroll. Uh, San Diego top five, Mets, uh, I think they're top five as well. Mets sitting at 31 and 34. Padres sitting at 31 and 33, sub 500 baseball teams who met in the wild card last year, both with owners who are sticking to the script. They're saying that their general managers are people they trust in Billy Epler in New York and AJ Prowler in San Diego. 
They've got all-stars everywhere you look. they got some young players with talent. What's wrong with these two franchises that money apparently has not yet fixed? Well, it's a really important question, Rich, and I think that it's a little bit different, the answer on, on both sides of it. I think with the Padres, and, and they've shown a little bit of a sign of life here lately, as, as you know. Uh, they, they've won three straight. They've won six of ten. They're still not above 500, but they're playing better baseball. And I think you're seeing, the, at least in the case of the Padres, their extreme reliance on Machado, who obviously has been injured for part of the season, and their, their extreme reliance on just a, a superstar-driven lineup overall, where a number of them got off to slow starts. And, and when you have a team that is so top-heavy and then you don't have a lot of organizational depth because you've traded it away or it's just a, a bit of a hollow center to the team in general, when those superstars either don't produce or are injured, you are left with a, with a gigantic hole in your lineup. And I think that's exactly what's happened for the San Diego Padres. And certainly they've had some issues with the rotation. Musgrove began the year injured. Um, Blake Snell has never really gotten to his potential, as, as you both know from watching that franchise. So that's, that, to me, is what I see with the Padres. And you contrast them with the Diamondbacks, who right now are the first-place team in that division, and are the exact opposite, incredibly homegrown. Um, when, when you talk about Corbin Carroll, who right now, I was just thinking about that as more, he might be one of the best 10 players in the game right now as a rookie. And then I think on the, the Mets side of things, it's, a, it's an older rotation that has now had some different ro- rotation injuries over the course of the year. And honestly, some, some below-par performances from Verlander and Scherzer. If, if you were to total up the number of wins that Verlander and Scherzer have right now, and you would have said at the beginning of the year – that this is how many wins these two have combined for, the answer would be the, the Mets would be in trouble. And lo and behold, the Mets are in trouble. They also at the moment are missing Pete Alonso, who's on the injured list and will likely be there for a few weeks. This is, again, a team that relies on a handful of superstars. Lindor's average not especially high. He's been producing runs, but this is a team in the Mets that relies on Alonzo in the way that the Mets or the, the Yankees rather rely on Aaron Judge, and neither team, in my opinion, can really achieve its full potential without that major bat in the lineup. John Pomerosi joining us. We're talking some Major League Baseball, JP. It's not often that we get into the middle of June and we look at the Major League leaders and we see someone hitting above 400. Uh, wow. But we have that. Now, I, I got to ask you because I've heard two different pronunciations of his last name, uh, Arez and Arez. Now, I, I want to ask you the definitive answer. When you have a guy that is 66 points higher in batting average than any other player in the major leagues, what is the proper pronunciation and how legitimate is this guy in terms of – I don't know, a modern-day Rod Carew, Tony Gwynn, those that had very high batting averages. All right, so to begin, when you see the double R in Spanish, of course, you're supposed to roll it. Yes. The other part is if you're going to phonetically present his name properly, there is an accent on the second A, right. which tells you that that is the syllable that has the emphasis. So I'll say it, I'll say it slowly here. Luis 
Arrayes. 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 Rich, how are you? Roll on that? that R, my Can friend. Can you get it? Arrayes. 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 Very yeah, good. There you go. So, so think about it as like at the in that middle part of the name. It should you should hear the word I, like your I. Yes. Luis Arrayes. Okay. There <laughs> yeah. you go. So now on to the, on to the rest of the commentary. Um, he's got a shot, and he's got a shot because. His ability to place the baseball is Tony Gwynn-esque. And I know that that is high praise. And and yet, look at the numbers. This is right now, in terms of what he's on pace to do, or even even this deep into his season, what he is doing in terms of a, a relatively low amount of home runs, but still a ton of on base and, and a ton of doubles, and obviously the average is extraordinary. This is the territory of George Brett and Tony Gwynn in terms of the last 25, 30 years. Those are the only guys who have approached what Arias is doing right now. And so I look at his ability to, to have great bat-to-ball skills. We are in a post-shifting world, which allows him to have even more green space in which to operate. So uh, will he do it? It's anyone's guess, but honestly, guys, we're at a spot with this record and this standard of a 400 batting average. We're in the same spot now with him that we were with Judge and 62 a year ago. Where it came down to the last couple of days for Aaron, it obviously happened. It very easily could have fallen just short. But the key thing is with Arias, I fully expect that we'll be having the same conversation in September that we're having right now, which is just tells you how highly I think of his ability and him as a person. That's incredible. That is incredible. Um, especially for it to happen in back-to-back years with two players like that. Judges right. season last year and Arias this year. It's just unbelievable. Well Thank you. Um, uh, JP, is there a team or teams as we're – look, we're not nearing the deadline yet. It's August 1st, but we're, we're approaching the dog days of summer here. Is there a team or teams that – you're hearing are are interested in blowing up their their team or even being sellers at the deadline that you would not have expected at the beginning of the season. Well, one thing that I think will have to contemplate some pretty significant movement that I didn't think would have to think about it in this area is the Seattle Mariners. They have excellent pitching, but their power has just not shown up. And they've lost 7 out of 10 they have not been able to string together a consistent winning month, in my opinion. And you look at how well the Texas Rangers are playing right now at the top of their division, and they need to reassess where they're at. You've got Texas, who is 10 games ahead of Seattle. And while the Mariners had a very strong second half last year, they did not, they were helped by the fact that Texas and to some extent the Angels were just not factors in the postseason picture last year. And now they are, especially Texas. And so I think that they have to really reevaluate where they're at. Uh, I think the, the White Sox have been a little bit in, a little bit out. They're four and a half games back. I think for now they are more likely to be uh, at least holding Pat. Maybe they try to find a way to buy. But they're, they're playing better in a division that, in my view, is very, very winnable. The other team that I think has to be a clear seller at the moment is St. Louis. My goodness. Uh, one of the worst teams in the National League right now. I thought they were going to be a division winner or very close to it. 
and they just have not put together any kind of consistency this season. So for me, the Cardinals have to really contemplate trading one of their young bats. It might be hard to give up a Nolan Gorman or a Dylan Carlson, but I think they have to consider it to get in the pitching that they need because, frankly, they are so far um, so far off the pace in the kind of pitching they need for the future. And we know, of course, this is the last year of Adam Wainwright. So this team right now, the St. Louis Cardinals, they had better be open-minded to moving their bats for pitching, not just for 2023, but for the future as well. It's always that time of the year, even though we're in June and the trade deadline is August. Who's a buyer? Who's a seller? Something we'll definitely talk about over the next six weeks or so. Uh, Can we uh, make it a Father's Day date with you? I mean, you know, us dads next Sunday. Is that okay with you, JP? I think so. It's a great plan. And, and by the way, speaking of a wonderful Father's Day celebration one week early, how about the Lowe family, uh, Nathaniel of the Rangers, Joshua of the Rays, playing a, a series in the major leagues against each other for the first time. So uh, their, their family based in Florida is able to go. Their father, Lieutenant Commander David Lowe of the U.S. Navy, a former Top Gun tactics instructor. So uh, what a great uh, weekend for David and Wendy Lowe to see their sons in the field. So, yes, in honor of them, in honor of all dads, we'll reconvene a week from now. Perfect, JP. You're the absolute best. Have a tremendous week, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. Sounds great, guys. Enjoy it. All the best. Thank That's, you. That's uh, John Palmarosi, our Fox Sports Radio MLB insider. Uh, and I really have a problem with rolling those R's. I'm going to have to work on that. Find out right now what is trending. Perhaps uh, Monsi Bolaños can help me. Arraes. 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 So this is uh, so funny. I can't. A couple of days ago, I was like... Uh, oh, this guy's hitting 403. Let me see if I can find a clip of his. And this isn't, I was like, arise. That's not right. Yeah. And it's like, I heard multiple people. This is why that. I asked the question because I literally. Arise for Aaron Judge. I, forget the rolling yeah. R's. I heard Arez, Arez. Right. And I was like, this can't, this And this can't is be why right. I asked John Palmarosi because I, I so knew glad. he would know the answer. The problem is the way he pronounces it does not come out of my mouth. Right, right. Even if you don't roll the a, R's properly, a riot, a it's, riot. it's. I was still like, it can't be Arise. There's no way. It's Luis no. Arise. I was like, he's Venezolano. Absolutely not. <laughs> like, and I, you know, I didn't want to sound like the the stupid one. So the first time I said his name, I said Arise because I was like, maybe I'm stupid. Maybe it's not correct. Now I did this for you because <laughs> Thank you. Rich and I will never mention <laughs> him again me. unless the guy's still I'm hitting 400 two months me. from now. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's a problem. Luis yeah. Arise, which yeah. is what I thought. Which right. is what I thought, which I understand is very difficult. So I get that. I understand. You know what I'm saying? Like, Monsi evolved because, one, I hated my name when I was little. I hated Montserrat. I hated that. I wanted to change my name to Selena. Yes, the R.I.P. Uh, <laughs> oh, Selena. Wow. Yes. yes. I used to sing and dance. Just, you know, I loved her. And I wanted to change my name to Selena in the first grade. And my mom was like, absolutely not. I hated my name. I hated being called Montserrat. And then somebody, like, obviously read my name, Monsi. And I was like, oh, that's it. That is it. I don't even, you guys, By the like, way, I don't we're even grateful know. it's Monsi as well. Right? Yeah. I promise you it's that. It's a good name. It's a unique name. Yes. Like, unique name. But once somebody called, I don't know what teacher called me that, it stuck. I liked it. I was like, this is it. And Since like, you're, you're the only person who really is fluent in Spanish. Yes. You have to You have to rank me and Steve saying this gentleman's last name. All right, you ready? Okay, go. Arias. Oh, man, that's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> 
Okay, see Monty, now don't listen to them. They're just trying to get a rise out of you. That's pretty good. See, I speak French. Right. I didn't take Spanish like most people did in high school. I took French. Right, right. Most people did take Spanish. But Spanish is hard, just like French. I mean, they're hard to teach. I'm good. Ivan Cola, yeah. Nicolas Fatum. People will ask me like Spanish questions. I was like, I don't know how to explain it. I can just tell you it's wrong. Either yeah. right or wrong, but I just don't know how to explain it. We have a full day of baseball today, fellas. No hockey, no NBA. A full day of baseball on this Sunday. A lot of games kicking off right now, but two games already underway with the Tigers up on the Diamondbacks at home in Detroit. It's 5-2 bottom of the seventh inning. And the Guardians, Andres Jimenez hit a two-run homer. I'll give you another one there. They're currently beating the Astros 3-0 bottom of the fourth inning. Now, we know the Mets have not had the greatest start to the season, despite the very big payroll. Owner Steve Cohen spoke to the New York Post, and he said that he's not going to blow up the team. He thinks that the the problem actually is inconsistent pitching staff, but that no, Buck Showalter is not going to get fired. Um, the Mets coming into today, Sunday, are 31-34 and 34 for the season. They're currently nine and a half games behind the first place Braves in the NL East. They had lost seven in a row prior to yesterday's win against Pittsburgh, but Steve Cohen says no, they are not going to blow up the Mets. Yeah, they say that now. Yeah, I was like, yeah. do you look like I mean, you have if, to they're, say? if they're 10 games below 500 uh, at the yeah. uh, trade deadline, they're blowing Everything's up this Everything's hunky-dory until this keeps going for another month. And, yeah, uh, of yeah. course. And Novak Djokovic has won his third French Open title, beating Kasper Ruud in three sets for a record 23rd glance, Grand Slam men's title. He officially passes Rafael Nadal for the most. That's not a bad day. That's not a bad day. That's not him. a bad day. Yeah, I got much more on him in a moment here. Uh, Monty, thanks so of much. Course. We'll check in with you a little Arise. bit later on. Arias. Awful. Good at this. We are brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at progressive.com. So I, I was, you know, Monty was talking about Djokovic winning the French earlier this year. He course won the Australian Open and he'll be the overwhelming favorite next month at Wimbledon considering he's won the last four Wimbledons of course they canceled it in 2020 with the uh, COVID shutdown um, which would really put the U.S. Open in a precarious situation Rich because two years ago he won the first three lost the U.S. Open final but last year was not allowed to participate in the U.S. Open because he wouldn't get vaccinated now, I don't know what the laws are now, but can you imagine if he wins Wimbledon and would have a chance to, by the way, only the second man ever in the Open era. Last time a man won the Grand Slam was Rod Laver way back in 1969. And if he doesn't get vaccinated, he wouldn't even be allowed to participate in the U.S. Open, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. Are we still there now where they have these rules or have they been taken off the books? Because that would be unreal, right? If yeah. if he had three of the four in his pocket ready to make history and they're like, no, you, you're going to have to get vaccinated if you want to play in the U.S. Open. I'm not educated enough in that space, mm. in, in tennis and their rules. Because that's what happened last year. No, I remember. And 
I I think year I mean year over year when we compare where we're at as a society this year versus last year even though at that point there were some people who felt like it was too strict of a policy um I think we're in a much different place um so so yeah I would be I would be I I guess the I would be shocked frankly if there were still mandates of that nature in place um and yeah, you know, furthermore, look, you know, the reason why there are people who demand asterisks with certain achievements or non-achievements is because they want to outline like a specific era. We talk about baseball's Hall of Fame and some of the guys and, and some of the numbers that we saw over the course of uh, the steroid era and people are demanding asterisks. The, the, the reason is, is because then it notates like, okay, well, this was different. This was a special time or these were special occurrences or rules were broken that in the history of baseball, for example, um, weren't broken in the past or at very least to our knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So there's people who demand those notations. I really do feel like in a lot of sports debates, say a decade out from today, a decade out from maybe a year ago, there are going to be people who look back on championships won, you know, where, you know, for example, baseball's playoffs, the, the majority or the entirety of it occurred in Texas that year. The NBA um, championships for the 2020-21 season um, was in Orlando. You know, the end of the playoffs into the championship round in the bubble in Orlando. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moments in sports that people are going to call for. Hey, we need to notate that that was different, that that was a different time. I don't think I care. You know what I mean? Like Djokovic made a decision that had an, a, a, an ill effect on his career, you know, and those were the rules at the time. And I'm not saying this in support of the rule or not, or in support of Djokovic or not, but I think that we get too caught up in trying to say like, hey, we need to notate this as different or special. It's sports. Sometimes sports are fair. Sometimes sports aren't fair. You know, I I mean, we change playoff rules all the time. Like in Major League Baseball, there's more teams in the playoffs now than they weren't. Are we going to asterisk that? In the NFL postseason, there's more teams in the postseason than there used to be. Are we going to asterisk that? You know, I mean, rules change. Yeah, it's just I kind of feel like these debates are too sensitive. Just deal with it. Well, here here's the other thing about Djokovic, which really makes his record even more amazing, is that he has 23, Nadal 22, Federer 20. Right. I mean, Sampras retired after winning the 2002 U.S. Open with 14, which was the record. So for Djokovic to put up 23, having to play against arguably the two other best players, most dominant players in the history of men's tennis. I, I think of years, I mean, you know, 50 years, people are going to just say, how is it possible that you had three players at the same time put up those kind of numbers, having to go up against each other? Right. Imagine how, how many championships Djokovic would have won if there wasn't a Nadal and a Federer. 50 I'm not quite sure I mean I'm trying to I'm trying to put you know a, a read on uh but that's a that's an unbelievable number 
It's an unbelievable number, and I mean, frankly, like there, I bet you there there are people who love tennis and who are obsessed with tennis, who would make the argument whether it be for Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic, yeah. for that matter, yeah. who would say, "Hey, like we we need to notate this time as separate from other times in tennis because of the wildly successful triumvirate that reigned over tennis during this time." I, again, I. I, it, will the U.S. Open that he missed out on playing because he wasn't vaccinated have an effect on his overall standing in in, ter- in terms of like his greatness and impact on the game? I really personally don't think so. But there are people who disagree and may feel like missing that U.S. Open will have some sort of substantial effect on his legacy. All right, coming up on the other side, uh, we got a lot of things we're going to be covering over the course of the day. We'll get back to the uh, NBA Finals, Game 5 tomorrow in Denver. I want to bring up a uh, NFL story with you, Rich, on the other side, one that has to do with what players are doing off the field. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Harbin and Rich Armberger, Fox Sports Sunday. We're live from the TireRack.com studios. It's been a lot of talk about hypocrisy we're going to get into uh the golf situation coming up in the next hour rich but i want to zero in on the nfl here so the nfl for years tried to dismiss the idea that their success their growth had anything to do with gambling which we all knew was uh not true false um gambling had a, a major impact on the growth of the National Football League and continues to do so now that they're in bed with gambling institutions that provide about a billion dollars worth of revenue into the league uh, every year. Um, and the sports gambling industry is increasing, increasing. Uh, now there's, you know, we're multi billions. Uh, with the NFL obviously being the uh, number one sport to be uh, bet on. So the NFL is really trying to clamp down on players and gambling, Rich, and they try to explain to them some really cockamamie rules. Uh, My favorite one is this, is that obviously you're never allowed to bet on NFL games. That I get. Okay, I get that part of it. Now, you are allowed to gamble on other sports, with legal gambling mechanisms like those that are tied to the NFL, as long as you're not on the facility. Now, this, this, this is the one that really gets to me, right? The idea, and, and what was interesting, because some of these players that have been you know, suspended or brought in for questioning weren't even clear on the rules. So they said, all right, so the NBA Finals are going on, and I want to place a legal bet on the NBA Finals I can do that from my house, you know, on my phone or whatever, but I can't do that if I'm at the facilities. I mean, this to me is just ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. What the NFL is trying to do is maintain this image that, all right, we're clean. We're not allowing our players to bet on anything if they're at the facilities. Where are we going with this, Rich, is what I want to know. And how many times can you hammer these players for doing something that, frankly, in my opinion, it's hypocrisy to punish them? Uh, And again, I'm not talking about betting on the NFL or their own games. I'm just talking about gambling in general. Well, frankly... And I was talking about this yesterday on Fox Sports Radio. I don't I don't really find that big of a problem with them betting on themselves. Now, I think individual player props would be a place where you need to draw the line. I think betting on an opponent against you certainly would be um would be crossing a line. 
but betting on your team to win, like I, I never understood how that should be viewed as something that's something that we should look down on. I, I mean, that's just confidence. That's just bravado. Like, you're a boxing fan. I'm a boxing fan. Isn't it kind of cool when you hear how much money that a boxer wagered on himself to beat his opponent? Yeah. Like, Floyd I think Mayweather did it all the time. All the time. That was the example I used, Steve. I knew you would understand this argument. Like, Floyd Mayweather Jr. spent his career betting hundreds of thousands of dollars. So instead of just earning his purse, he would earn, you know, sometimes payouts as much as half a million dollars or millions of dollars on winning fights. And we're talking about big matches. So, like, I I look at this whole thing and I say, you know, it's just, again, the NFL getting in in the way of players' ability to earn. Because if you allow players to live bet during the season, hey, follow my betting, I'm Dak Prescott, and I think we're going to beat the Philadelphia Eagles on the road this weekend. So much so that I put $10,000 on the game. Like, you know, brought to you by DraftKings. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the reason why all of this makes so so little sense to me. So, I don't know. I, I think there should be less rules not more well when it comes to money obviously this was the biggest story in sports this week how what happened to golf could happen to the rest of the sports world this is fox sports sunday discover betmgm the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for non-stop action all winter long take the excitement of football basketball and hockey to the next level with same game parlays exclusive signature bets odds boost promos and much more Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Rolling along on another beautiful Sunday. This is Fox Sports Sunday, and we are broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com. We're going to help get you there. An unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Uh, By the way, Rich, uh, here in SoCal, I was in San Diego a little bit last week. 
Uh, wasn't the weather wasn't a whole lot better than was here in uh, Los Angeles. Uh, and then I took a little side trip to Phoenix on Thursday. Thursday, Friday, I was there for a celebration of life of a friend of mine that recently passed away, and uh, it was 100 degrees, Rich. Oh, wow. Like, I'll put it this wow. way, when I was driving back Friday, wow. and I hit Blythe yeah. at about 7 o'clock in the evening, it was 97 degrees. I'll say this. Do so, you miss the heat? Wow. I mean, it's been uh, unseasonably cool here in SoCal. Yeah, I I don't I don't miss the heat. I do I do not miss the heat. Yeah. I also don't miss the snow. So I've had the um <laughs> I I've had the you know kind of like the globe trotting experience where I've lived various states, various regions of this country and uh grew up in New York, played in New England, played for the Arizona Cardinals. Mm. Um so I know what the extreme cold feels like. I know what the extreme heat feels like. Um and I I'll tell you a quick story when I first landed for training camp i had signed as a free agent with the um with the arizona cardinals and they do their training camp i don't know if they still do but at the time up in flagstaff uh at on the campus of N- nau and so you land obviously in phoenix and you do your medical in, in phoenix and then they put you in a shuttle van they drive you the two hours north to the northern arizona university campus well when i was in the valley i remember thinking like I've never felt hotter weather in my life. It was like 110 that day when I landed. It was so hot that I couldn't sweat. That when I was sweating, it, it got up to 115 at, at, at like you know the in the in the late afternoon. I when when I felt perspiration, it would evaporate immediately. So I get to the hotel and I'm like, "Okay, I'm hungry, but I'm going to wait this out because I'm not leaving until the sun sets." So it's probably it got late. It probably got to like nine thirty at night, and then I'm like, "What is even open anymore?" Hmm. I'm taking a nap. I look and I see that there's an in-out burger, uh, fast food bar- burger restaurant out here on the west coast. They had one in Phoenix where I was staying across the street. So I'm like, "Okay, that's where I'm heading." So I'm walking down to the front lobby. The sliding glass doors open, and I am hit with what I can only describe as that first gust of wind that comes out of your oven. It's like almost 10 o'clock at night, and the, it was still 103 degrees outside. I just went straight back up to my room and went to bed. So, <laughs> um, It was a reminder just how hot it can get in the desert. No question about that. It's not ideal. Those people who live out there, they're made of different wow. stuff than me because I'm like Frosty the Snowman. I'm like, see you next year. Yeah. Gotta um, go, kids. I want to throw a number at you. I want to just sort of inhale this number, okay? Okay. $700 billion. <laughs> Not million, seven hundred billion dollars. That's a lot which of isn't money, Steve. which isn't even that far away from a trillion dollars. Right. You could argue it's two hundred fifty billion away from a trillion. Correct. So seven hundred billion dollars. Billions and billions and billions and billions and So where is that number coming from? That is the number in Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund. The sovereign wealth fund that just bought the world of golf. It was a number that the PGA Tour couldn't help but battle because they just don't have $700 billion 
So what started off as sort of a crazy idea of an alternate golf league in less than two years, the people that started this league, which, by the way, no one watches. Uh, I know my TV station, L.A., carries Live Golf, and the numbers will prove nobody's watching, have mission accomplished. They now own the world of golf. Now, what that means moving forward, we're not exactly sure, but the one thing we are sure of is they are now running the golf world, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, which is the DP something tour nowadays. Uh, DP World Tour. DP World Tour. This $700 billion sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia has accomplished something that a lot of people said would not be accomplished. And by the way, I was getting some criticism because I want to bring up some ideas of where they're going next. Because I don't believe they're stopping at golf. No, they're not. Uh, golf was sort of the test. It's an easy test. Because they knew that there was no way that the PGA Tour had any hope of holding them off. And and somebody would bring up the idea, because I'm going to bring up some team sports that might get involved in this, saying, well, this was an individual sport, so you could buy individuals. First of all, in golf, there's only one individual that moves the needle. One. And his name is Tiger Woods. And they didn't get Tiger Woods. Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, whatever whatever golfers made the jump to live for $100 million plus, none of them moved the needle. There's only one golfer ever that moved the needle, and his name is Tiger Woods. So what was this all about? Well, it was, like I say, in my opinion, it's the idea that Saudi Arabia says, all right, now we have taken control of one entity. What's next? Sports has changed so dramatically in my lifetime. It used to be niche. Believe me, back in the day, being a sports fan was very niche. It wasn't mainstream. But the amount of money that sports is generating around the world these days has changed the whole dynamic of the business dramatically. Oh, yeah. And the Saudis are looking at it as an opportunity. Well, yeah, because think of it from this standpoint. So say you have acquired a tremendous amount of wealth in real estate for example, in a certain area. But then all of a sudden, for one reason or another, the real estate in your area is becoming less and less valuable. Like maybe there's new land development around you where there didn't used to be. Or maybe all of a sudden, you know, there's news reports that say it's a coastal area, you own real estate, that erosion over the next 20 years is going to slowly eat away at the land that you own and you've made so much money in this little real estate empire you have. So all of a sudden, you got to start thinking about your exit strategy. You got to start thinking about how am I going to pivot from real estate? Well, that's what Saudi Arabia is doing. The Saudis have a tremendous amount of money. Their wealth comes from oil. There's a lot of global manufacturers who are turning away from oil now. So in order to pivot, to capitalize on this extreme wealth that they have, they don't want just to lay dormant and just invest in you know, Wall Street or other stock markets around the world. They want to actually own tangible assets. So uh, sports leagues are tangible. Absolutely. So now that they own golf, give me another target. This is something we actually brought up 
a year ago, I think, when we started talking about more on this live golf. And I and I mentioned college football because the landscape of college sports have completely changed in this country with name, image and likeness. We have these collectives now that all the universities are putting together money in the coffer so they can compete with top high school athletes as well as transfer athletes that are accepting more money from schools to leave one school to go elsewhere. And it's huge business, especially college football, because it's not under really anymore the jurisdiction of the NCAA. They've gone rogue. Oh, yeah. Believe me, college football is an entity onto themselves. So what is to prevent? And I asked this question a year ago, but now even more so that, and again, what they've been able to do in a very short amount of time, taking over the world to golf. What is to prevent for um, this uh, sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia to approach any university, any university, and say, would you be interested in us, you know, contributing to your collective so that you're in a better position to acquire the best talent out there? I can't imagine too many universities saying no. Now, they could try to take the high road, whatever that might be, and and I, I laugh at this. I, I laugh at this when I consider, uh, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. The NBA brings in $5 billion a year of revenue from China every yeah. year. $5 billion of revenue comes in from China. And human rights are a question everything else. By the way, this live golf is the best thing ever happened in the NBA because no one's talking about the NBA and their marriage with China. But $5 billion. None of the economics of this league would be possible without uh, that money being poured into. But let me ask you this, Rich. You know, if you if you get a paycheck, yeah, does it really matter to you where the money for that paycheck comes from? Well, what's interesting about that question is over the course of my professional life, I could I could not tell you because I've worked in the NFL and for major corporations after that exactly where the money comes from. Mm hmm. So, I mean, to answer your question with a question, does it sound like I care? <laughs> no. And I, I would say, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong to care or not care, but I would think the overwhelming majority of us that collect a paycheck really are not concerned about the origins of that paycheck. Yeah, see, okay. As long I'll as the check clears. On. Yeah. Yeah. Because most people don't have the time to. Look, most yeah. people... And this is true of my parents. This is true of a lot of people who listen to our show. You know, they make enough money to get by. You know, and a lot of times what that means is they're living with a little credit card debt or maybe they got a line of credit out on their home, um, whatever equity they have in their home, or maybe they, they rent and sometimes rent gets paid on time and sometimes it doesn't because if you want to go out and have dinner a couple of nights, maybe 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 you can't pay your electric or your rent on time. Like a lot of people are just getting by, man. And so the stress of, you know, the rat race of life a little bit keeps you from really pondering the existential questions that come up when these sort of enormous mergers occur that are so above our even pay grade, even though we're paid to try to investigate these things and discuss them and have opinions on these things. There's so much we don't know about what happened between the Saudi royal family and the discussions that 
that Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA, and his his two lieutenants that he was bringing in on these discussions had over the course of the eight weeks plus or whatever it was to get this merger accomplished. But what we do know is that a this is going to have a profound impact on the world of golf. B, this is going to have a profound impact on the world of sports and how sports are governed. And, and C, they're not done yet. No. Because this is a treasure trove. Like you said, the amount of money that this private investment fund has, it, I mean, they they could buy the NBA five times over and still have money to buy the NFL. Yeah, that's that's my whole point. So the idea that they just wanted to take over golf, golf was easy prey. That, that was low-hanging fruit. I mean, it was easy because they just didn't have the finances to battle them. Well, so and if you now think the about it, they it, did it perfectly because they attacked a nonprofit entity. Correct. That doesn't want to open their books, right? And they were so fearful that this litigation that they were going to be tied up in, because, mm-hmm. again, you're talking about a bottomless pit of money that the Saudis have to throw at this. They weren't worried about... Live golf stealing viewership. They weren't about live golf finding a way to get more get more ratings than the PGA had. That was never going to happen. That was never going to happen, uh, especially with the 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 demographic that golf really does ensnare. They weren't switching to live golf, but what the PGA was most afraid of, and what Jay Monahan was most afraid of, was the the lawsuits against the PGA. That if they went to trial, discovery would begin, which means that the PGA would have to open their books and all of these golfers would see how much money the PGA actually is benefiting from their work and how little they're getting paid by comparison while still flying under the banner as a nonprofit. That's the reason why this merger happened. That's the reason why, because I'm sure every time Jay Monahan tried to take the moral high ground or tried to reason with these people behind the scenes, every single time he came with a plan that kept the PGA and the Live Golf Tour separate, they said, okay, well, we'll see you in court. And he went, no, we can't let that happen, so we have to get back to the bargaining table. And what's occurred is now the primary and sole investor in the PGA, which I think the the initial investment now is something like 2 or $3 billion from this, this conglomerate that is going to oversee the world of golf, Jay Monahan, the, the commissioner of the PGA, which I don't know how much longer he's going to be the yeah, commissioner Yeah, I mean, that is PGA. a figurehead. Look, he has a new boss. He has and a he, new boss. And he's when a he, CEO, when, though, so he's yeah, getting broke okay. off in this deal, too. Yeah, okay. Uh, you remember on Wall Street where the Charlie Sheen character was running an airline that no longer existed? You're still the CEO. <laughs> Uh, we're just selling off all the assets. Well, that is exactly what's happening. Well, what's here. crazy is he's he's not even. It's not even like the CEO of the PGA because that that ship has sailed. Yeah. The PGA is going to exist in name only. Correct. He's so the uh, CEO of this now yeah. company, this parent company over the DP World Tour, right. over the Live Golf. Well, if he covets his job as long as it may last, uh, he's going to have to trumpet the uh, the new regime That's that right. has taken over golf. But yes, it is very real that this is just the beginning. I think we both agree there. I don't I, I don't Just see the an beginning. end in sight. This is this is very small money, much bigger money to be made. All right, coming up on the other side, we're gonna get back to the NBA finals. Game five tomorrow and the Denver Nuggets and Jokic and Murray. 
Are they the new faces of the NBA? We'll discuss. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Hartman, Rich Armberger, Fox Sports Sunday, live from the TireRack.com studios. Game five, NBA Finals tomorrow in Denver. The Nuggets try to wrap up their first ever championship. By the way, yesterday I was asking about ticket prices for that game. Somebody actually sent me a screenshot from one of the uh, ticket agencies. Upper level seats. I mean, top level. You know, those 300 level seats. $1,250 each, $1,250 each. So uh, it's going to be raucous in Denver tomorrow as they hope to make history with the Nuggets winning their first ever championship. Could be a problem for the NBA, though, Rich. I mean, when you think about the current NBA, there are only two players in the NBA right now that could lay claim to be or have been the face of the NBA. That would be LeBron James and Steph Curry. These are the two most recognizable, marketable faces for the NBA. There's a lot of great players. It's just that because of their exploits individually and team-wise, they're the guys. And we were talking a little bit earlier about whether or not this Nuggets team's a one-and-done or more than that i mean think back to game three right you lose game two played horribly in that fourth quarter at home and they made history in game three when we talk about Jokic and murray i mean first they talked about the Jokic was the first guy ever in a finals game to go 30 20 10 and then they dug a little deeper and this was just an unbelievable stat that Jokic and murray were the first teammates not just in an nba finals game not just in a playoff game Any game in the history of the NBA to have teammates in the same game have triple doubles scoring at least 30 points. It had never been done in any NBA game. Let alone the finals. Let alone the finals, right? So if the Nuggets come back next year, and again, we're just assuming they're going to close this out. And a little bit later on, we'll make, I'll have some fun about any kind of a heat comeback. Because there is there is a scenario, but I'll get to that later. Um, but if the Denver Nuggets close it out tomorrow, and let's say come back and win another championship. And another championship. Because they have, a, I mean, that's a young nucleus. With Gordon and Porter. I mean, they got young guys, Murray and Jokic. They could do it. I mean, if they stay healthy and, you know, they've been together for a long time. So we see it on the court. That's a great team. And they got the right coach. Does Jokic, can Jokic get to the level of a LeBron or a Steph where he actually becomes the face of the NBA? Jokic? Jokic. No, I don't think so. No matter how many. What if they rattle off three in a row? Well, here's the problem. I mean, Shaq rattled off three in a row, you know. um... The NBA will completely have to pivot who they are if they're going to do that. Look, you know, it's actually interesting that the Stanley Cup final and the NBA finals occur at the same time. Because they both have very different feels. The N- the NFL, or I should say, the NHL has a very international feel to it. The NBA still, even though they are a global game, um, you know, probably at this point more um, uh, Asians. I'm talking about people who live in Asia 
watch the NBA than Americans, um, it's still very much a national sport. They have very carefully cultivated their stars over the years, and look, it's some of it's luck. Like you can't you you can't predict that a kid from Akron is going to dominate the league for two decades. You can't you can't predict that you know you're going to have a a star rise to the heights of a LeBron James to use the example and will will be squeaky squeaky clean publicly will never you know run amiss in terms of you know some of the things that um other players have gotten involved with off the court suspensions and otherwise um, and then also be a champion and a great champion and a good public speaker and, and a movie star and all the things that you hoped would come in the generation after Michael Jordan. Well, here we are, or, or Kobe Bryant, for that matter. It's kept it's kept the NBA very nationalistic. If Jokic becomes your star, that will that will demarcate the moment when the NBA had to. Uh, shift gears and become more of an international league. They haven't done it yet. In fact, I I think it's intentionally so that they haven't done it yet. But if 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 Jokic is the guy, if a if a Serbian superstar is the guy, well that that officially that will be the day that the NBA is no longer like our game in terms of America. It becomes a global game, truly becomes a global game for the first time in its existence. And and it'll have a very different feel to it, very similar to the NHL, has a different feel in the United States because it has, you know, a, a huge presence from, you know, Russia uh, and Eastern Europe in general and a huge presence from Canada uh, and as well as the United States and our amateur leagues filtering into the NHL. But it, it yeah. Yeah, so I think they're going I, – I, I think it could head in that direction, but I think they're going to do as much as they possibly can to avoid that happening. Yeah, it'll be interesting if tomorrow it ends and they hand that Bill Russell trophy, which is the finals MVP trophy, to Jokic. Where do we go from there? All right, on the other side, though, I want to get into it's not over yet for the Heat. All right, I'll explain why. But first, let's find out what is trending right now. So, Monty, are you a Jokic fan? I am. It's impressive to see him be so fundamental, using techniques left and right, where it's like, I know he knows what he's going to do. We know what he's going to do. He's going to do it slowly, but he's going to do it effectively. It's he just incredible. seems to be under such control. Right. I watch him, and I'm like, I know you're not flashy. I know what you're about to do, yet... You can't be stopped. Does he have any vertical game? Like, <laughs> no, he barely gets up, but he doesn't need to. He just, but his. his I think I jump higher than Jokic, but it doesn't sense matter. Sense of awareness around yeah. the basket, like where he is, because he can shoot from any angle, anywhere. and he always seems to know exactly where he is in relation to the rim on the court. Right, and the the. His shots always touch the top or like the front of the yes, rim and, and bounce in. It, yeah. Very soft. Never, It's never a swoosh. Hardly no. ever. He has such control, just awareness mm. where the rim is, where his teammates are. It's incredible to watch. Again, yeah. not flashy, still incredible to watch. What's incredible to watch is the Diamondbacks right now in Major League Baseball. They're in first place in the NL West. Let's not talk about it because the Dodgers are not in first place. But 
they were down. They scored four runs in the top of the ninth inning and have taken the lead over the Tigers. So right now they're up seven to five. It's the bottom of the ninth inning. The Tigers have a man on first and third, but they're down to their final out. So the Diamondbacks are either going to extend their win streak to five and the Tigers are going to extend extend their losing streak to nine or both of those are going to be snapped. But right now, Arizona up seven to five, bottom of the ninth inning. The Guardians have had a couple of home runs from Andres Jimenez and Josh Bell and they're still shutting out the Astros. It's 5-0. They're about to start the eighth inning. Royals and Orioles are tied at three apiece, bottom of the third. Phillies beating my Dodgers 1-0, bottom of the third. It was thanks to Bryce Harper, an RBI single to put the Phillies on the scoreboard. Matt Olson hit a two-run homer, 421 feet, his 18th of the season, and the Braves are beating the Nationals 2-1, bottom of the fourth inning. The Mets and the Pirates are tied at one apiece, bottom of the fourth. Jeff McNeil hit that solo home run for New York to put them on the scoreboard. But Andrew McCutcheon of the Pirates, he recorded his 2,000th career hit in the bottom of the first inning. The Twins are beating the Blue Jays 4-1, bottom of the third. The Rays are up on the Rangers, but the Rangers scored three runs in the third inning to make it interesting. So the Rays are up 4-3. They're about to start the fourth inning. And the Reds have scored first against the Cardinals. It's 1-0. They're about to start the second inning. A little NBA news that came out. And no, this is not about Miami Heat's poor mascot. Uh, Bernie, that was. Has he filed a lawsuit? I, I just don't. The guy was hospitalized. Was hospitalized. It was a bit with Conor McGregor. It's like Conor McGregor. Did you really punch him? Like I understand. Oh, he did. He's did in you a, see the in, video? I did see the video, but it's like, are you that <laughs> dumb? You are a UFC champion, and he this is a him, mascot. What are we doing? He gave him a left cross like, that would have knocked me, you know, <laughs> off the planet Earth. Just, and you just saw the the heat. What's the name of the mascot? Chubby. Bernie. Oh, Bernie. Oh, Bernie. 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 By the way, there's an actual person in that mascot outfit, guys. Right. You understand that, right? I know. Yeah, yeah. Like, Does he have a lawsuit like up the yin yang? His name's also Bernie. No, yeah, just like, heard it. I don't know. I just don't get it. How how did you really punch him if this was a bit? I Even will say I, this: the mascot has a glass chin because he was talking some smack. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, and I thought he'd at least make his way out of the first round. But he, I mean, he went down like a sack of potatoes. I, I just don't get it. But the Celtics are finalizing a deal to hire Charles Lee as their lead assistant coach. This is according to ESPN. And Bobby Jackson, a 12-year NBA veteran and former sixth man of the year, is joining the Philadelphia 76ers coaching staff. This is according to The Athletic. Back to you guys. Hi, right, Monsi. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah, that was bizarre. Just, and I what? mean, did he sign a waiver? to allow that to happen. Right. I hope sure. he didn't I, because I, otherwise... For Conor McGregor's sake, I hope he did. Because, right. Wow, because... Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden you may be paying for that that for Bernie's new house and he's going to need a big front door to fit that head through. I don't care what I sign. I'm not expecting McGregor to actually punch me the way he would punch if he was in the ring. Uh, uh, it was, I don't care it what was I signed. stunning. I don't know there. why you would get him involved in the first place, but... <laughs> That was uh, that was not pretty. All right. Well, speaking of knockout punches, uh, a lot of people believe that by winning two games in Miami, that the Nuggets have delivered the knockout punch, and they're going to wrap it up tomorrow at home. But if you're the Miami Heat, if you're Eric Spolstra, and he's a pretty smart coach, all you have to remind your team of as you head to Denver for Game Five is what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
Game three of the Eastern Conference Finals in Miami. The Boston Celtics didn't just lose to go down three games to none. They quit, at least according to just about everybody that watched that game. It was over. Game four in Miami, sweep done. Remember Magic Johnson said, in my 44 years in this league, I never envisioned a time when I would see a 17-time champion like the Celtics quit on the court. The next thing you know, Boston is hosting a game seven. Yep. And unlike what Boston was trying to do, having never happened before, what Miami is trying to do has happened before. And it happened against the team with the greatest regular season of all time. The Cleveland Cavaliers are down three games to one, and they go back to Golden State for game five, figuring it's over, right? Wrong. Cavs beat them. Went home. Evened up the series. Went back to Golden State and won again. Two out of three. Now you're saying, well, this team doesn't have LeBron James. Okay, but also the Heat are not playing a team that was 73-9 and in the regular season. So I'm not going to say Miami will win this series, but a team that's already gotten this far as an eight seed, I can't see them rolling over. I know one guy that knows that, and that's Mike Malone. I mean, he is just screaming at the top of his lungs. We haven't done anything yet. You got to win four games. So I think the the Heat are going to be relaxed. The place is going to be rocking. But what the Heat are trying to do to win this series has happened before. Winning two out of three on the road and sweeping the last three games has happened. Yep. And so I, I, I'm i not counting this Heat team out. When you got a special player like a Jimmy Butler, yep. Bam Adebayo has been outstanding in the series. They just need somebody else. Somebody else has got to sort of emerge as a surprise star for this Heat in order for them to win tomorrow's game. Because if they win tomorrow, all bets are off. Well, Jimmy has to have a Jimmy game. Like Jimmy Big. Buckets is, is the reason why the Heat are here. And he still hasn't had that you know, 40, 50-point game like he's had in virtually Mm -hmm. every other series in these playoffs for the Heat where he completely dominates, he carries the team for a night, and it inspires the rest of the roster to play up. They've gotten a lot out of their role players. You mentioned some of the other stars on this starting five, but, you know, even their bench and – and the depth of this team has done some great things. So if if he can have a night like that and the Heat maybe combine that with a little bit of luck, I mean, this series could be evened out here and all of a sudden we may have a, a Game 7 force. Now, that I just said if many, many times in a row, and that's what happens when you get yourself into a hole the way the Heat have. But it, like you said, it, it wouldn't be the first time we ever saw this. And then second of all, it, it's, it's, it's likely. I, I don't want to say likely. That's probably untrue because Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have played unbelievable basketball. And I, don't, I, I see the more likely scenario, the Nuggets winning this championship and hoist the Larry O'Brien for the first time in Denver's 47-year existence as a franchise. But I don't rule it out as a possibility. Uh, that's the best way I could phrase it because Jimmy Butler is a talented enough 
player, Eric Spolstra, uh, for what an NBA coach is worth to a team these days, is a talented enough coach and has been in these circumstances before. And I think the role players around Jimmy Butler, if they step up, are a talented enough cast of characters that this is conceivable. I don't think it's likely, but it's conceivable. Oh, it's conceivable. It's very conceivable because, again, the thing I loved about Spolstra and really Jimmy Butler throughout this uh, playoff run for the Heat is their demeanor doesn't really seem to change, win or lose. Um, They just sort of seem to be saying, hey, people have been doubting us from the first game, so what's changed? Nothing's changed. Our mentality is the same. If we go out and we can do what we did and think about it, they did it in that fourth quarter in game two on the road against Denver. They took over the game. And even the Nuggets had to admit afterwards, we suddenly were prey to their game. They completely took us out of our game. If they could do it once, they can certainly do it again. All hey, right. c- hey, coming up next, I have a I have a, a theory about the XFL. Oh, I've been I've waiting a- for this. All right. Yeah. All right. As and again, we're talking with, you know, Rich Ornberger, a member of the Alliance of American Football <laughs> Broadcasting Hall of Fame. So he knows about these outlier leagues. All right, Rich is gonna break us all the news, the latest on the future of the XFL. This is Fox Sports Sunday. This is the Steve Harbin, Rich Armberger here, Fox Sports Sunday. We are back in our TireRack.com studios. All right, well, Rich, we've been long awaiting the update on the future of the XFL, and you have some inside information that you are now going to share with our vast radio audience. <laughs> well, I, I don't have any new information on the XFL outside of what I've read in an article posted by Sports Illustrated yesterday that the XFL apparently estimated um, its losses at $60 million in Mm. its first season of its latest iteration. Um, So this is the first season for the XFL since 2020 when the league's return was spoiled by the coronavirus pandemic, obviously. Um, There was a lot of pomp and circumstance around this relaunch with Dwayne The Rock Johnson involved, who now has controlling interest over the league. However, um, they have really failed to make anything nearing what they projected their revenue would be. In fact, they've gone in the hole north of $60 million, and, and they're hoping next year to bring in revenues of $100 million or more. Okay, uh, now I, I saw this as well. I'm trying to figure out, all right, you just lost $60 million, Right, 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 right. But we're expected to be making $100 million in revenue. H- how does that work? Well, he, it's I a I would long- love it for my own personal <laughs> economics. I'd love to know how that works. It's a long-term view. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> Dwayne, wow. Dwayne Johnson said, look, you know, my goal was to get through the first season. Uh, this is not just an endeavor that's going to uh, fill up a portfolio and one day we flip it and we're out. This is a legacy. This is the long game. Okay, I want to focus on that for a second. Yeah. Because I know what he's saying. I know that's what he's hoping. But at the end of the day, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a businessman. And we were just talking about what happened to Live Golf, right? 
Uh, Liv comes on the scene. They challenge the PGA. They uh, pay players to defect to their league. They open lawsuits against the league from its new players, its cast of superstars. The PGA folds into a merger with Live Golf. What if, what if, now I, I wrote this tweet. I'm going to read it to you, and I want, I want you to respond to this. Yeah. What if the Saudi Public Investment Fund does the same thing to the NFL? So the Saudi PIF and the XFL, mm-hmm. they announce a partnership. They're keeping all the main players in place. Dwayne The Rock Johnson still has his, his, uh, his role with the XFL, but they start dumping insane amounts of money into the pockets of NFL stars to turn their back on the NFL and join the XFL. And then the XFL and PIF encourages its new stars to sue the NFL and never back down because they don't need to because they can pay lawyer fees until the end of the world because they have a bottomless pit of money. The NFL, in my opinion, will never go to trial because they're never going to want to open their books because they're a nonprofit entity and they've never had to, just like the PGA. And so what happens? The NFL agrees to merge with the XFL, which is backed by the PFF, uh, PIF, just like uh, the PGA did with Live Golf. It is the same exact plan. But instead of Phil Mickelson jumping ship on the PGA to join Live, it's a superstar NFL quarterback defecting to the XFL, and that is the first domino that falls. Well, first of all, we've been down this path before, and that was called the American Football League. Lamar Hunt was a 27-year-old son of one of the wealthiest people in the world, H.L. Hunt. And he was frustrated because he tried to buy his way into the NFL with a Dallas franchise. And when the NFL said no, he said, well, the heck with it. I'll just start my own league. And he had the money. And they were losing gobs of money in the beginning. Several franchises, the Raiders, the Jets, uh, Titans, as they were then known, had to be subsidized by rich owners like not only uh, Lamar Hunt, but a young Bud Adams with the Oilers. They had all this money, young guys, because they were from wealthy families, to keep the league alive. And then what they did was they started buying off NFL players. They started signing NFL players to futures contracts. This is how the whole merger happened happen the nfl had to wave the flag because they knew the afl had the money yep and yep you know here here's the thing about the xfl though about 25 percent of their revenue comes from their parent broadcast company espn uh and it's very public knowledge nowadays that disney which un- operates espn among other entities is cutting money you know they're they're they're, they're having to make some tough decisions um, without that money, the XFL's not around. Right. So you're you're like you said, maybe there's an alternate means for them to get revenue. Well, imagine paying off Disney and ESPN to back out of this. Sure. Thing. I mean, look you at know? when you have seven hundred billion dollars in the coffers. I'm just saying you can if, buy a lot of things if there is an opportunity or an avenue for for the. The public investment fund, the Saudi public investment fund, to do to the NFL what it just did to golf, there, there's a lane. And for anybody out there who said, well, this will never happen to the NFL because all of these owners will never kowtow, well, hang on. What happens if all of their dirty laundry is out there on Main Street because all of a sudden XFL players backed by mm-hmm. the Saudi public investment fund are suing the NFL for mistreatment? So do you think the owners are going to just allow their skeletons to come tumbling out of the closet? 
Yeah. Or no. are they together going to say, you know what, we'll merge with the XFL? They have the money to do it. They have the money to do whatever they want to do. Now, speaking of the NFL, we have the updated news. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. But the six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. All right, much more to get to here on a busy Sunday. This is Fox Sports Sunday, and we are broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com, we're going to help get you there in unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection, over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. All right, much more coming up on the uh, NBA Finals. Resumes tomorrow in Denver. Nuggets trying to uh, wrap it up there to win their first ever NBA championship. Uh, I also want to get to some golf. The U.S. Open uh, is getting underway this week. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later on, Rich. But I want to get some NFL news out of the way, get your thoughts. Uh, One of the big stories this week in the NFL did not come as a surprise, but I'm still trying to figure out where this team is going next. The Minnesota Vikings released Dalvin Cook. This is Dalvin Cook, who has been in the Pro Bowl the last four years in a row. Over the last four years, only Derrick Henry has more yards per scrimmage amongst running backs in the NFL. He's also a running back that played all 17 games last year. All 17 games. Uh, I know he has a fairly hefty price tag. He has not even turned 28 yet. Um, and based on his availability, and I know he did suffer a shoulder injury last year that had to have surgery, uh, it's not his legs. So Dalvin Cook is still one of the elite running backs in this league, and the Vikings determined that we need to spend our money 
elsewhere. So my question to you is, is this a wise move by the Vikings? Uh, and which teams or teams should be interested in acquiring Dalvin Cook? And then I guess the follow-up is exactly how do you use a Dalvin Cook or a running back in general in today's NFL? Well, all of those are great questions. To start with the Minnesota Vikings, I think the reason why they moved on from Dalvin Cook is because given where they're at from a payroll standpoint or salary cap standpoint, they don't see the value in paying $10 million to a running back, which is a lot of money in today's NFL. And the reasons are obvious because we see this year after year. There are running backs who appear to come from obscurity, undrafted free agents, um, guys who were scrap heaped by a different team, come to a different franchise and end up having success beyond um, anything anybody could have foreseen or or predicted. Um, you know, lower round draft picks breaking into the NFL and having unbelievable seasons. This happens routinely. You know, bygone are the days where teams, you know, typically spend high round draft picks on running backs, although I say that and two running backs went within the first 12 picks of this year's NFL draft. We could get to that in a moment. But focusing on Dalvin Cook and where he goes next and how he's going to be utilized, I think it's going to be very similar to how Christian McCaffrey was utilized by the San Francisco 49ers. They had this space in their payroll. They brought him aboard. And they found a way to highlight him not only in the run game, but also in the passing game because he's such a talented receiver. Dalvin Cook, not nearly the receiver Christian McCaffrey is, but but is a talented receiver and can threaten you in the passing game. And also, we've seen what he's done on the ground year after year for the past four seasons. So I think whatever team picks him up is probably going to try to get him for a bargain, maybe get him to restructure his contract uh, compared to what he's worth right now in free agency, um, or you know, pay some of that money up front in guarantees and get his um, – get his, uh, what he's what he's due this year in terms of his salary down um this way it doesn't affect the the his next team salary cap as much and then they're going to try to use him similarly to how the san francisco 49ers used chris and mccaffrey we'll see if all that happens but i i think i think two things about this story i think one, whichever team ends up signing Dalvin Cook is going to be very happy with the signing, assuming they don't overpay him and he stays healthy. The other thing I feel about this is the NFL is just heading in a different direction where typically the only big contracts you see running backs get typically are going to be the first contract they get in the draft. And after that, it's been somewhat devalued unless you're Derrick Henry and, you know, you're the exception. Well, and to see what happened with uh, Ezekiel Elliott, right? The Cowboys Correct. gave him all that money and got very diminished returns. There's another uh, story that's a big story in, in terms of running backs. The league's leading rusher, Josh Jacobs, is yet to sign his franchise tag agreement right. with the Raiders, and he's trying to get a deal done by July 15th. And with Dalvin Cook on the open market – it is conceivable that the Raiders could withdraw their franchise tag offer to Josh Jacobs, let him go and try to bring in a Dalvin Cook at less money. Um, 
if you're Josh Jacobs, so under the franchise tag, he could make ten million guaranteed, fully guaranteed in twenty twenty three, and a twenty percent raise uh, the following year, or you apply for free agency, and that's that's a lot of money for any running back out there. I agree with you, Rich. It, it's 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 a very precarious situation. Austin Eckler, prime example of this with the Chargers, you know, who was just a gem for the Chargers, undrafted rookie, has been a highly productive running back, and the best he could get out of the Chargers were a little few more incentives in his contract. You know, if you do well, we'll pay you a little bit more money. He had zero leverage. Well, I would. I was saying this yesterday. Look at a running back, for example, in the NFL today. Like a good season for a running back is 1,000 yards, you know, something north of a five-yard, or I should say north of a four-yard per carry uh, stat line. You know, honestly, that even has diminished in its importance. It's really how how many yards you can gain after contact. I think some of the more advanced analytics on the running backs are the more reliable analytics. But I digress to prove the point that when you are relying on a run game, the yards that you can gain per touch are so much inferior to those that you can gain per touch in the passing game. Like a, a good season for a receiver, instead of it being somewhere hovering around four or five yards per touch uh, as compared to the run game, it's something like 14 or 15 yards per per catch. You know, so I, I the value in the NFL, especially the way they've changed the rules to highlight the pass game, really goes to the receivers. And that's the reason why you're seeing these absurd contracts. The same thing that happened to running backs in the 90s is happening to receivers now in the 2020s because the game has changed into a passing game. You know, I was thinking about this, and I mentioned this to Bucky yesterday. So you know how it is in high school. Go back to your days when you were the first lineman ever to be named the New York High School Football Player of the Year. Still the only one, I think. And uh, but I mean, when you went to Penn State, you you were thinking in terms of being probably a defensive lineman, sure. Unless you went up against Lomas Brown, and then all of a sudden you realize, okay, or Levi Brown, Levi Brown, Levi yeah, Brown, yeah. and you realize, well, maybe maybe that's is not where I tend to be. And then they switch you to offensive line, and you became an All American, and then on to the NFL. So if you're if you have the athletic skills to be a running back, you pretty much have the athletic skills to play any position on the field. Yeah, you could argue that. And so if I'm thinking to myself, all right, my college guy wants to make me a running back. And by the way, that also probably means if you're an elite running back at the collegiate level, you're going to carry the ball 25 to 30 times a game on top of catching the ball. They're, they're going to use you a lot which is going to limit how much gas is left in your tank when he gets to the next level. My point being is, if I'm that level of athlete, I don't know if I really want to play running back anymore. Dude, That it's changing. I mean, I it's don't, I don't, the youth don't make me – I want to be yep. a receiver. I want to do a defensive back, cornerback. I don't want to be running back because running right back now. to me offers me probably the shortest amount of time in the NFL, which in turn means the least amount of possible money – it's a dying position, and I just wonder, as we continue to evolve with this position, whether or not we are headed toward extinction. Well, I, I, I think that's probably a step too far down the road as, as of yet, but 
what you're saying is true. If you go to any peewee or youth league clinic or practice or game, um, everybody wants to play wide receiver. Everyone wants to be a quarterback or or a wide receiver. It used to be everybody wanted to be the team's running back. Absolutely. It used to be that way because every team was running the option in high school or the zone game in high school and they wanted to be the star of that of that team. And and typically the passing game especially at the youth league level and and even at the high school level was a run first play action pass style offense. Well, that's all changed. That's all changed. Seven-on-seven seven football is played everywhere, all season, all seasons. Uh, during the fall, you're seeing certain high schools never go under center. They're playing exclusively out of the gun. In fact, I think within the next decade, that's going to be the majority of teams. And so as a result, with the diminishment of the old-school pro-style offense where the running back truly is the feature of the offense, even when we got away from you know, the, the fullback, the running back still was the feature piece of the offense in the zone game. That has dissipated, and it's really turned into your running back has to be equally as good a pass catcher as he is a, a ball carrier. And so I think very soon here, you're going to see a steep decline in the talent level at running back or just, you know, sort of what's happened to the tight end. I mean, tight ends are barely involved in the blocking game anymore outside of, you know, say George Kittle or Rob Gronkowski, um, who are the, the rare and unique birds in all of this. I mean, for the most part, tight ends are wide receivers. I think the same thing is going to happen to the run uh, the running back position here pretty soon because everybody wants to be a wide receiver. In fact, tight ends now who are so involved in the passing game, who are on their rookie contract, and the NFLPA, uh, with the help of the NFLPA, they're trying to fight to have tight ends included in the wide receiver franchise tag money because they don't want to be tagged like their tight ends anymore they want to be tagged like their wide receivers because the majority of their importance is served in the passing game in while running routes and catching footballs so the point the point is well founded and it's well heard here but i don't know if that means that we're going to see the extinction of the running back position i think what we're going to see is it sort of morph into what the tight end position has become all right on the other side i want to get to a story uh again out of the nfl and let's let's be clear about this in a team sport the pieces have to fit pieces have to fit the teams that find the right formula for the puzzle are the teams that are most successful. By the way, we're brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We're going to be talking about a piece, a.k.a. a player, whether or not he's the right fit for a certain team. Who is it? Which team are we talking about? This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Hartman and Rich Hornberger, Fox Sports Sunday, live from the TireRack.com studios. Watching a variety of things here. By the way, Freddie Freeman yeah, just hit a home run for the Dodgers. This guy, awful lefty, too. He's, uh, he's hitting about 340 this year with power. Pretty talented guy. Uh, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, what he did in Atlanta, what he's done the last couple of years with the Dodgers. I mean, that guy, oof, he's good. He's he's really good. One of the reasons, how about the Arizona Cardinals? I mean, excuse me, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, 
leading the NL West. Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, how? Because I told you, I was just in Phoenix, you know, on Thursday and Friday. And I have to admit, because I talked to some of the locals at this uh, celebration of life that I was at, they're like, where did this come from? I mean, this, this team lost like 110 games a couple of years ago, and they're they're in a shock right now. Uh, and I said, well, you know, it's funny because I was in San Diego for several years, and the Padres seemingly came out of nowhere. I mean, from like dead, like nobody going to the ballpark to a wildly hot ticket. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But the Dodgers are where they are, despite their lack of pitching, thanks to guys like Freddie Freeman. Now, in any sport, Rich, the pieces have to fit. And, and this is the jigsaw puzzle for general managers, for managers, for coaches, finding the right combination of players. Yep. And franchises that are successful over long periods of time, very simply, have been able to master the puzzle fitting better than others. And the New England Patriots have obviously been that uh, with Bill Belichick. They've been able to plug in the right pieces and eliminate the bad pieces quickly. We've, saw, we've said this many times. One of the great uh, parts of the Patriots' success over the years is recognizing mistakes. Yep. And eliminating them immediately, whether it was a high draft pick, high price free agent. If they feel like this is a bad fit, they don't try to force it in like, I'm convinced this is going to fit. It's not going to fit. And they unload. And that's how they operate. And that's how they stayed where they are. So DeAndre Hopkins is going to visit with the Patriots. And there's so many different storylines. Bill O'Brien is now the offensive coordinator. This is the same Bill O'Brien whose head coach and general manager dumped DeAndre Hopkins at the top of his game. Yep. Um, and then on top of that, when you hear about D-Hop, he's not a practice guy. Like, he was a guy that, and maybe this was a frustration with Bill O'Brien, is that D-Hop was a gamer. And maybe he wouldn't practice all the time or didn't practice at a high level. Uh, and when you that can be very frustrating for coaches. But for someone like yourself that knows all too well how the New England Patriots operate, because here's the thing about D-Hop. Some of the other teams we were talking about, you remember we talked about the Bills and the Chiefs, and, you know, he might be the second or third option. In New England, he could be the number one option. Oh, no question about I it. I mean, he would be better, certainly, than anyone they have on their current roster. But in a need where they're competing against, you know, the high-flying Jets now with Aaron Rodgers, certainly a team on the upswing, the Dolphins, the Bills are the Bills. Do you think that the Patriots may bend the rules a little bit in order to accommodate a talent like DeAndre Hopkins, hoping that his game would help them win additional games? Will they make exceptions or would he have to play the normal game in order to be a New England Patriot? No, they absolutely would make exceptions. And I think that's actually a little bit, and it's not your fault because I think you sort of outlined what the New England Patriots are and what they aren't um, perfectly. You know, I think they're pretty egoless. And this is all really around Bill Belichick and his vision of what success looks like in terms of if they sign a bad contract or if they sign even a good contract, they'd rather cut ties earlier than later. Whereas like in terms of a good contract, 
A player may even still have a good season or two left in New England, but they're going to get rid of him before he starts rotting on the vine. You know, so we've seen this many times before with superstars with the New England Patriots who were traded or they were released because the thought process in New England was this is an aging veteran and we need to start cultivating the next iteration of that position group. Otherwise, we're going to get old really fast all of a sudden. Um, so we've seen that with good contracts and bad, like you described. However, when when some of these contracts are minted, like um, where they bring in an aging uh, veteran free agent who still has some tread left on the tires, they will accommodate that player. They'll accommodate that player. When During my time there, it was Randy Moss. And if Randy needed a day, if he needed a vet day where he needed to be out there in sweats instead of practicing, he would get a vet day. You know, if a guy... Um, you know, all of a sudden kind of had a a lingering lower back situation going on where, you know, whenever it sparks up, he can go into the training room and get a massage and then watch practice for a day. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure the coaching staff knows what's that all about, but there's a legitimate excuse. There's a quote-unquote injury there. And you have a veteran player who, understands how to get ready for the game but isn't putting themselves through the rigors of practice to save themselves for game day i saw that stuff happen my entire time in new england and it still happens to this day so bill belichick he gets labeled as this tyrant and really he's a player's coach he really is he understands how physical the game is he understands how um, certain players are better game players than they are practice players and he makes those accommodations for certain players so if DeAndre Hopkins is interested in playing in a place where obviously you're going to work really hard and it's going to be one voice and one vision at the top and everybody has to do it the quote-unquote patriot way if he can do it that way well I, I don't think that the practice schedule is going to be the reason why they can't make this work you know, it's interesting you mentioned that about Belichick. And really, I would say that would be a common denominator for all successful coaches. John Wooden. Yeah. I remember talking to Coach Wooden several times about different personalities that he had to work with, especially during the late 60s, early 70s, right? It was a it was a time of college unrest, you know, with all the protests and everything else. And his two biggest stars, Lou Alcindor, became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Bill Walton were very strong-minded, very bright young guys that were very much a part of their time. And so he admitted that, you know, in order for them to focus on what he needed them to focus on, along with school, obviously, was basketball, that he had to, you know, sort of play to their personalities, um, Let and them so, be who they wanted to right. be. Right, and he goes, look, there were some guys that you need to coddle, and there were other guys where you need to kick them in the ass. And you have to play everybody differently. You have to understand each individual person. I know two people are alike, and what makes them tick? What what gets them going? And uh, it sounds like Belichick certainly has that. All right. Uh, on the other side, I want to get. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the uh, AFC East. Are we all in accord right now? It could be. Bob Kraft said it was the toughest division. Uh, by the way, your Patriots only have been given an 8% chance to win the AFC East. Well, there you go. When is the last time that happened? Well, not for 8% a- chance of winning the AFC East. But I want to stay with the AFC East. But first, let us find out what is trending right now. Monty, you always have sh- struck me as a very uh, self-motivated 
individual. Yeah. I mean, uh, were you raised with someone kicking you in the butt to get you going, or yes. were you always self-motivated? No, my brothers definitely kicked me in the butt. Really? Yes. Uh, they were much older than me, so... Yeah, but you were self-motivated. You, did yeah, you? but I think it was following them, too. You yeah. know, they, they were very active. They played club sports. They right. had, one of my brothers had, like, a job very early on because he wanted to buy his own car when he was, like, 17. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he was, like, my my oldest brother is 10 years older, and when he turned 18, my dad bought him, like, a little car. You know, something super cheap just to get him around. And when my other brother, who's two years younger than him, eight years older than me, was approaching, you know, 18 years old, he was like, yeah, no, I can't drive around a bad car, Dad. I have to get a good car. Yeah. Like, from the beginning, he was like, I need something better than what you could offer me. When I turned 18, my dad also gave me a little Nissan Sentra, like, old little car to get me around. And I was, and I didn't even want to drive when I was 18. I used to be driven around by my mom, all my club sports. And then when I turned 18, she was like, I am done. You're going to go get your driver's <laughs> license. So on my 18th birthday, she made me take my driving test. Like, oh I didn't even want you know, it, It's amazing you mentioned that. All right, all of my kids, all of my two sons and my youngest, me and my daughter, um, they weren't all that anxious to get their driver's I, yeah, license. I was not. Like, literally, I turned 16. I'm like, that, that's the day. I, I couldn't because not. my birthday's the 4th of July. Well, they're closed. Well, open them. I want my license. <laughs> Nowadays, like, eh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah. and I I'm like, like, oh, man, I have to is... drive myself? No, man. I just, I, because my daughter has two older brothers, she never really felt that, I mean, I could tell she was a go-getter. Right, you know, that type yeah, of thing. yeah. I think it was just in our family, you yeah. know, from the beginning. It's all I've ever known. So right. I'm, you know, hustler baby for sure. Guys, I just saw a video. I was looking right before you cut to me. It is a YouTuber called Mr. Beast. He's doing like a video about this $1 billion yacht. Here's the thing. Tom Brady joins him at the end of this video and they start throwing the football and the guy's like, all right, let's see if you can hit my drone. And he starts flying a drone off the yacht and Tom Brady says, if I get it on the first try, maybe I should think about unretiring. He gets it on the first try. Uh, so um, this was posted yesterday. It's Mr. Beast is the YouTuber. If you want to check it out, you can also see this $1 billion yacht. Holy mackerel. Apps, I can't even. But he does hit it, and he says that. All right, let's go on to Major League Baseball. The Dodgers are on the scoreboard thanks to a solo home run, which you men- mentioned by Freddie Freeman. But the Phillies are still up. It's 4-1, to one, top of the seventh inning in Philadelphia. The Nationals have taken the lead over the Braves. It's 6-2, bottom of the seventh inning. The Mets are still losing to the Pirates in Pittsburgh, 2-1, top of the eighth inning. The Royals and the Orioles, that's hard, we're tied at one point, but Baltimore is up 7-3, to three, top of the seventh inning. The Blue Jays have scored, but it doesn't matter. Twins still on top. It's 6-4, bottom of the fifth inning. The Rangers taking on the best team in baseball, the Rays, and Tampa Bay is up 7-3, to three, bottom of the seventh. Marlins have scored first against the White Sox. It's 1-0. They're about to start the sixth inning. How about this, guys? The A's. This is not a typo. The A's have won four in a row. <laughs> what the heck is going on here? <laughs> They've won four in a row, and they just took the lead over the Brewers. Seth Brown hit a three-run homer in the fourth inning. I mean, it took 11 pitches, but he got it, and the A's are beating the Brewers 4-2 in Milwaukee, bottom of the fifth. The Cardinals up on the Reds, 3-2. They're about to start the sixth inning, and the Rockies have scored first against the Padres. It's 1-0, top of the second inning. Two games have finished today. The Diamondbacks have now won officially six in a row. The Tigers have lost nine in a row. Arizona had to score four runs in the ninth inning, but they beat
beat Detroit 7-5. And the Guardians did shut out the Astros at home 5-0. Shane Bieber pitched seven innings, only gave up three hits, and struck out nine in the victory. Back to you guys. By the way, every time I check my Twitter account, yes. uh, and again, you can follow us at Ormberger, at Cannon Hartman, at Monsi Bolaños, by the way. Correct. Um, I always, I look down and, and like comments, Monsi is the best. That's all <laughs> yeah. I get. I get yeah. I, I get a lot of Monsi is the best, Monsi this, Monsi that. Yeah. Not much yeah. about you and me, Rich, but a lot. Because we already know you're the about, best. Well, I don't know about I that. doubt that's the reason why that's not we're usually not getting what I hear. Although somebody uh, last I week, I believe, said that I was the, um, let me see if I can find that Actually, one. you know what? I'm thinking to myself, I've never actually been called the best. I've been called the worst Oh yeah, <laughs> on Twitter. Oh, no, I, here was one. Somebody said, I'm we're talking about I'm Austin Reeves and that potential $100 million deal. Yeah. Yeah. And someone said, Reeves, the unsung hero of the Lakers like Hartman is to FSR. Hey! Okay. All right. I had to do a double take. I was like, is that actually a compliment? <laughs> it that is! is no, I can't read all the negative things here because, frankly, I can't read them on the I'm air. I'm the so. devil. Yeah. So there's a lot of that. <laughs> Believe me, exactly. That's exactly that. Uh, all right, Monsi, thank you very much. Yeah. Check in with you a little bit later on. All right, we were talking a little bit about the uh, Patriots, whether or not D-Hop would be a nice move for them. Anything would be an upgrade, uh, certainly with a receiving core, that's for sure. Help out Mac Jones uh, and Bill O'Brien with that offense. But there's one team that uh, is pretty well set uh, right now in terms of their offense, and that is the New York Jets with the addition of uh, Aaron Rodgers. So Aaron Rodgers came out this week saying this is the most fun he's had in years. He showed up for every single day of OTAs. Everyone. Didn't miss a single one. Now, he had, what was it, uh, he had a little injury there for a while. Missed a couple of practices. But he was still there. So how does that translate to you in terms of what we're actually going to see on the field? Uh, by the way, he will turn 40 uh, during this season. It's all this enthusiasm. If you're a Jets fan, like if you're Jason Smith, you know, lives and breathes Jets football, is the enthusiasm coming out of Aaron Rodgers' mouth uh, a translate into huge, I mean, expectations are obviously there, but will translate into huge success on the field in 2023? I think that I think that Aaron Rodgers, when surrounded with talented players and healthy, is one of those players still who tilts things dramatically in the direction of success and will with the New York Jets, again assuming health, will have one of those seasons we look back on and we say to ourselves, like, yeah, this is all that was missing. Like, what we said all throughout the 2022 season was accurate, that the Jets really need a starting quarterback, really need a guy who can get the football uh, to his playmakers consistently and accurately, who understands the offense, who can help add some wrinkles to the offense to teach and to motivate like a veteran quarterback can that, you know, frankly, it's not his fault. But at this young uh, point of his progression, Zach Wilson couldn't do. Joe Flacco didn't have enough left to really do. And Mike White couldn't as well. I, I mean, those were your three starting quarterbacks in New York last year. It just wasn't going to happen. But with Aaron Rodgers, 
I mean, regardless of what anybody thinks of him personally, and a lot of people can't separate how they feel about him personally from the player himself, is inarguably still a top five performer in the NFL when he has a surrounding cast that's worth their salt and when he's healthy. I mean, that's plain and simple. That is an accurate statement. By the way, the Jets are one of three teams that have said no, 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 no to hard knocks. Yeah. Apparently, there's only one team that hasn't said no. Maybe the NFL will say no. And that's the Commanders, which is a very awkward situation with a transition and ownership and everything else. So the Jets are the team we want to see, right? So if you're the Jets and the NFL steps in and said, all right, we know you don't want to do this, but we need you. You need you need to do this. And if I'm the Jets, I'm saying, all right, what's our trade-off? In other words, if we're going to do you a favor by exposing ourselves in hard knocks, what are you going to give us in return? Let's say a deal gets done. If you're the Jets, and obviously hard knocks when it's as much of Aaron Rodgers as humanly possible, how would you handle that in terms of accommodating the producers of hard knocks for this Jets team? Listen, I I feel like hard knocks, unless uh, it's, it's somewhat run its course. Um, well, got a revival thanks to Dan Campbell. Yeah, I, I but, but okay. So that's the only time Hard Knocks is successful anymore. If there's a head coach mm-hmm. who can really keep the thing afloat, how about Robert Sala? Is he that kind of guy? I mean, potentially. Although I don't think I see it. Not not quite the way I did with Dan Campbell. Or for example, the last time the New York Jets were on, I believe it was when Rex Ryan was the head coach. I told you I went to Cortland for that one. Yeah. I was actually there. And I think I think he did a great job oh, keeping yeah. it entertaining. Dan Campbell the same. I mean, that's what Hard Knocks. That's what I found out that Hard Knocks relies on now. Because if you want access to players during social during uh, excuse me training camp, just go to social media. All those clips are posted throughout throughout training camp. Like, you know, guys, it's not like they're entering solitary confinement or, or being jailed. Like, they still have their cell phones. They can still interact and tweet and put out Instagram uh, videos and TikTok videos. And so we have that kind of insight now that we didn't, frankly, have when Hard Knocks first launched. But what Hard Knocks needs is, is a coach. They need the coach to be the character. So... I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe Pete Carroll, maybe maybe he's an interesting enough head coach character. I'm I'm certain that people would be fascinated to see Bill Belichick if he were to welcome in the Hard Knocks camera. Dennis Allen in New Orleans. I don't I, I mean, I wouldn't. I, that's you know probably not. No, that's you know? not a draw. Well, I, they, they, it's a conundrum right How now. How about Denver? How about Sean Payton? Well, absolutely, you know. He would be. Well, these are these are names. These are recognizable names. And that's out there. my point. Is like if if Hard Knocks is going to work, they're going to have to attach themselves because we don't hear from coaches on social media all that often. We hear from players all the time. Um, but Mike McDaniel with the Miami Dolphins is a fascinating character. Yeah. Like, get him on Hard Knocks. I think you would be going the wrong direction if you were going to say, hey, we're going to do Hard Knocks, but we're going to be reliant on these player profiles. You can't do it that way anymore. You need access to a 
a unique head coach or a famous head coach that people are really excited to get inside the mind of. Andy Reid is another one. I think the Kansas City Chiefs would be a good example. Especially after his commercials drawing uh, mustaches on people on airlines. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, that's I just, fun. That's I fun. Just, I just think that they're going in the wrong direction. All right. Uh, speaking of wrong direction, in the NBA, I'm thinking of a team that may be going in the wrong direction if they were to pursue a certain player. Tell you who that is. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Harbin and Rich Hornberger, Fox Sports Sunday. We are live from the Tyrac.com studios. So after the Lakers were swept by the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals, LeBron James was asked about, what do you think about next season? And his response, I thought, was pretty on the mark when he said, well, I don't even know what our roster is going to look like, so I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, which was his way of saying to the Laker organization, where our roster is now is not good enough to beat that team, the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. So that's the bar right now uh, and the hurdle the Lakers are going to have to get over if they want to win a championship which LeBron says it's the only thing that matters to him, and I love when he says something like that. So now there's all this buzz that the Phoenix Suns are about to part ways with Chris Paul, and he's 38 years old. So he's had a Hall of Fame career minus a championship, but he's been a great, great player, and he's still an elite player when he's actually healthy and on the court. But there's all this buzz that, you know, Chris Paul could be a Laker. And I'm thinking to myself, if you're the Lakers – is Chris Paul going to help you neutralize Jokic? <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I get the idea that it's nice to have a, a real point guard and maybe it relieves uh, some of the offensive pressure on LeBron to have to be the ball handler on top of everything else. Or maybe he helps the game of uh, Anthony Davis. That's not your problem, though. What the Lakers have to figure out is what we need to get past Jokic. And all I say is, what happened three years ago? Now, I, I understand Denver was a much younger team, but the one guy that was not covering Jokic three years ago was Anthony Davis. Right. You had McGee and you had Dwight Howard. You had this, you know, two big guys handling the big guy under the middle. So if I'm the Lakers right now, Chris Paul, are you kidding? You need bigs. The one thing that we're finding out about this Denver Nuggets team, why they're so good, they're big. I mean, they're skilled, but they're really big. So if I'm the Lakers, forget Chris Paul. Chris Paul is not going to do anything for you in terms of what you want to win is a championship. I, I just, I, they need to focus on getting some big body. Look, you bring Reeves back, Hachimura, that's fine. Those two guys have proven they are valuable assets to your team. But you need some bigs, man, if you want to even come close to challenging the Denver Nuggets. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I will I will say this. There's more than one ways to handle this situation. I do think that getting bigger can work. And I don't know if Chris Paul is the answer to this question. Um, so I have doubts there as well. But... Sometimes the best way to stop a great offense is to outscore them, you know? Like, sometimes the answer is just to add to your offensive firepower, and it feels like the Lakers aren't thinking in terms of, like, how do we defend Nikola Jokic? They're more thinking along the lines of how can we become so consistent offensively that it doesn't matter, 
that Jokic can get his 30 or his 40 against us and we have good enough defenders, but most importantly, a great enough offense to outscore the Nuggets. I feel like it's an arms race in the NBA and a lot of teams are going to go in that direction because the truth is you can't really defend Jokic if he stays healthy. Six foot ten, six foot eleven. He's got great court vision. He has great handles. He can shoot the jumper. You know, he's really a complete player. He, he's fundamentally sound in every way. He's good at the foul line. It, it, there's really no weaknesses there. So let him get his, defend the rest of the cast members, but most importantly, become an offensive juggernaut. That's the only way to contend with the Nuggets. And so that's the reason I think you're hearing reports of the Lakers interested in adding offensive players as opposed to adding a big who can effectively defend Jokic. Well, imagine also this part, though. You're adding another old body. Yeah. Um, you know, LeBron obviously is already there. And if you're Darvin Ham, the coach of the Lakers, you, you got to play this juggling act and you got to figure out how to keep Anthony Davis on the court when the games matter most. Now let's throw in Chris Paul. So it would be a juggling act with these three guys to at least keep one or two of them on the court at all times to navigate through the regular season so you don't end up as a sixth seed or a seventh seed where you could actually get some, you know, home court advantage in the playoffs. You want to be, you know, a top three seed. Well, you're only going to do that if you win, let's say, I don't know, 55 games. Uh, and it's going to be hard to do if you're juggling a lineup where LeBron and AD and Chris Paul are constantly in and out of the lineup. I, I Again, you have a clear bar now. You know what you have to do. You just face this team in the Western Conference Finals. And even though you played hard, I mean, the Lakers were competitive in that series. They were. But they weren't good enough. And yeah, that I was mean, the point LeBron was making is, I'm not saying we didn't show effort because we did. They're just better than us. If you go we need to get better. And look at that series and compare it to the effort the Heat have shown. Like the Lakers looked like they could contend better. Heat obviously won a game here and, and you know, you could say luck. I don't know if I necessarily completely agree with that because Jimmy Butler is an excellent player and you know, any team can get hot from the three point line here and there, but the point being, and and also they had an, an enormous high, enormously high uh, three point percentage in the regular season and throughout the postseason. So it aligned with what we've seen. But yeah, if the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets, assuming the Nuggets keep everything the same next year, they're going to have to add. And frankly, I think offense is the better better side of the ball to add to. Much more coming up. This is Fox Sports Radio. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. 
Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Covering it all here on a very busy Sports Sunday, Fox Sports Sunday, and we are broadcasting live from the TireRack.com studios. TireRack.com, we're going to help get you there in unmatched selection, fast free shipping, free road hazard protection. Over 10,000 recommended installers, TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Before the conference finals in the NBA, we had the potential of a Lakers-Celtics NBA Finals. I remember we were thinking to ourselves, the worst case scenario is if they both lose and we end up with the Nuggets and the Heat. Well, the TV ratings are in and there's good news for the NBA. The ratings so far for this Nuggets Heat series are almost identical to last year's matchup between the Warriors and the Celtics. There really is no difference, Rich. I mean, the numbers are... In terms of television ratings, the number of viewers, and by the way, they're both significantly up from where they were in 2021 with the Bucks Sun series. Of course, that uh, bubble uh, situation down there uh, was a disaster in 2020 because <laughs> they were going up against the NFL. And yes, we're not talking about the great numbers that we saw maybe when the uh, Cavaliers and the Warriors were getting together, but there's been no significant drop-off is what I'm trying to say, um, which is good for the NBA. Uh, I, they had to be worried. You eliminate the Celtics, you eliminate the Lakers, You're those are two big-time big basketball markets. So I think there's a lot of intrigue in terms of seeing something new. But I'll tell you this, if the Heat do win tomorrow, I think these numbers are going to go up significantly. Because I've always said this about, you know, ratings for, you know, World Series or NBA Finals or whatever – Really, they take on their own life. If there's something compelling happening in the series, then people are starting to talk about it, and they're like, man, I haven't really been watching. Let me find out what's going on. Uh, yeah. So um, I, I, th- I still think there's a potential here to, uh, to go to a much higher level, but at least the idea that somehow Nuggets Heat were going to be a ratings disaster has proven to be wrong. It well, has not, by any stretch of the imagination, been a disaster. No, I agree. And I think there were certain analysts or writers who were counting on it, and I've seen some headlines that don't really jibe with what we're seeing. You know, where it's like NBA Finals numbers way down from last year, and then you look at it, and you're like, 3% is way down? No. You know, it, it, we're, we're not talking about heroically bad ratings here. We're talking about, you know, per the NBA, over the course of the past two decades, this is way down from where they were, say, in the early 2000s or the 90s, but it's not way down from last year. And to your point, 
with Golden State in and Boston in last year, those being much larger media markets, the thought process was, well, you know, all of the predictive measures tell us that this is going to be a far worse rated finals. And it hasn't been because I think, and myself included, a lot of people missed a very important thing. Yeah, Denver and Miami are two smaller media markets. We're talking about probably the 16th and 17th ranked media markets in the country. But, like, Denver isn't just Denver. Denver is basically like the state of Colorado and some of the surrounding areas. You know, Miami isn't just Miami or Fort Lauderdale. It's also, like, a big majority of Florida are Heat fans. It's... It's it it's like there's a lot more traction in those states rooting for those NBA teams than I think people realize prior to this finals, which also may change the way the NBA looks at Miami and Denver. Like these may be way more promotable markets than they thought prior to this series. And maybe next year if Jimmy sticks around and well, obviously Nikola Jokic and that that core if they stay together, which I'd assume they would. Um, maybe the promotion of those two markets is more intense because a lot of times it's just your coastal cities like L.A. with the Lakers, Boston, New York with the Knicks, whenever they have any talent, Brooklyn with the Nets. You know, these these markets are the ones that are highlighted. We, we may see sort of a shift in the way this league is promoted. Denver's an interesting sports city, and I know we have listeners out in the Denver area, and they've had a, a lot of history. Uh, the Broncos, obviously, have won three Super Bowls. Uh, they had the back-to-back with Elway and, of course, the uh, the added Super Bowl win against Carolina in, in Peyton Manning's last game. And the Avalanche have won three Stanley Cups, including a year ago they were Stanley Cup champions. I'm just trying to figure out because you played for a franchise, the Patriots, that was always the weak link in Boston. I mean, the Patriots were last on the totem pole for many, many years. Uh, obviously, you had the Celtics. Uh, the Red Sox, even if they weren't winning World Series back in the day, were simply Boston's team. And, and the Bruins were highly popular, uh, although they had not won a lot of championships. The Patriots are always last, and then that all changed with their dominance. I, I'm curious to see. I mean, I don't know enough about Denver, where the Nuggets rank but obviously, adding a championship to their resume resume is going to help immensely. Well, I'll give you I'll give you an example that I think can we can draw parallels to, like um, Arizona. The state of Arizona feels very similar in some ways to to me to the state of Colorado. Now, I've lived in Arizona. I've never lived in Colorado. Um, when I was living in Arizona, what I found was whatever sports franchise within the state pro sport franchise within the state that was most popular having the most success the fans were most interested in that sports franchise like there there wasn't like this you you wouldn't describe arizona or the greater phoenix area as like a football city it's just not it's it's whatever sport is having the most success. That's the kind of city it is. And Colorado feels like that to me. So when the Broncos are great, which they've been more so than the other sports franchise, well, guess what? They're going to get the most attention. But if the basketball team's great, they're going to get the most attention. If the hockey team's, you know, it, like, so that to me is, it, it's it, that's the type of market it is. And, and I kind of feel that way about Miami too, frankly. 
I mean, when the Dolphins are good, they'll fill up that stadium. When they're bad, it will be a ghost town. Um, And there are certain places that aren't like that. Obviously, Green Bay, Wisconsin, they're coming out to root on their Packers, win, lose, or draw. Those tickets are sold out for years in advance. That's a football city. That's not... That's not what Miami is. That's not what Denver is. That's not what a city like Phoenix is. They're a, hey, we're going to root for the popular hot team right now. And in Denver right now, especially after a disappointing Broncos season, it's the Nuggets. You know, you mentioned Phoenix, and I was just there last uh, a couple of days ago. Actually, yesterday. Um, but think about Phoenix. You have the Coyotes. They've never won a Stanley Cup. You have the Arizona Cardinals. They never won a Super Bowl. Yep. You have the Phoenix Suns. They've never won an NBA championship. Oof. The only the only team that won a championship was the Arizona Diamondbacks. They won that one World Series in 2001. That's it. Yep. It's interesting how that works. Denver, like I said, I mean, the Avalanche have certainly had success. Uh, the Broncos obviously have had success. The Rockies, not so much. Um but yeah, it will be interesting to see, and and, and when I, I I hate the term bandwagon. Bandwagon is just a normal state of mind. People, I I I I, I never hold it against any so called fan when they're a bandwagon fan. Somehow the purists say, well, you know, I I stick with this team, good or bad. Good for you. Good for you. But that doesn't diminish the idea that someone could join the party. Yeah, like that would be to me like like um, hating on the guy who won a bunch of money at a hot blackjack table. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like, okay, I get it. Maybe they didn't sit through eight shoes like the degenerate on the end of the bench. Right. Like um, he earned it. Yeah, like, yeah, like, well, well, he had to eat some bad hands until, you know, the dealer, they changed dealers and the pit boss came over and, but, yeah, who cares? Who cares? Like, jump on in. Like, you know, if, if you're riding a hot hand and it's fun and, and it's, and it's exciting, well, who cares how long you were at the table prior to that? That, like, I completely agree with you. I think, and in most, in most sports cities, guess what? The majority of your fans are bandwagon fans. Because what are sports if they aren't hope, right? You're pitching hope. You're hopeful that the team does good in the draft. Then you're hopeful that the team has a good offseason or spring training you know, or preseason. Then you're hopeful that the team is ready for the regular season and nobody gets hurt. And then you're hopeful that they're going to make the playoffs. And then you're hopeful that they're going to make the Super Bowl. When all of a sudden your hopes are crushed because a team is absolutely out of it by the time the All-Star break hits in Major League Baseball or in the NBA, and it looks like they're tanking for the draft or in the NFL, you know, they're off to a 3 uh, or an 0-3 start, and it looks like the playoffs hopes are sailing away at first blush. What, you're going to throw good money after bad? Save up your dough. Go and watch a game when hope is renewed. I completely agree with you, man. I think attacking a sports fan because they're not there for the downtimes too is like the opposite of what you should do. You should you should hope that those fans show back up to create a raucous environment for your opponents when they uh, when when the team starts having their resurgence. Yeah, I, the best thing I ever saw, and I've mentioned this before, was the LA Kings uh, hockey team back in 2012 when they eventually went on to win their first Stanley Cup, and they had this huge bus. 
And you could see it all over town. And on the side, it said the L.A. Kings bandwagon. And I'll never forget this because we are doing our show from the same studios that we are here. And they parked this thing right out front. Yeah. I was doing the show with Pat O'Brien. And Pat gets on this bus because they wanted to show us this huge bus, beautiful bus. And they said, welcome to the bandwagon. And he didn't understand. He's sort of like, no, no, no. I've been, I've been rooting for you guys. And I'm like... No, you literally are on the bandwagon. <laughs> it says it on the side of the bus. It says the L.A. Kings bandwagon. They embraced it. They didn't fight it. I, I thought it was brilliant marketing. And the idea is, hey, we're going to bring new fans in. People that haven't even known we were alive, and now that we're winning something, they want to be a part of it. Everyone does. So it'll be interesting. The Nuggets, uh, it's a golden opportunity. It's a franchise that has had a lot of great individual players but the other part of this was they kept this nucleus together for a few years, including their coach. Uh, a little bit of patience, something that not all MBAs are doing these days. I want to get back to something we've talked about before, not just in the NBA, but coaching in general. In this day and age of big money in sports and takeovers by huge money people, where do coaches actually sit? And how much of a factor ultimately are they in winning championships? How much credit should Mike Malone get if the Nuggets actually win this championship tomorrow? We'll break it down. This is Fox Sports Sunday. Steve Hartman, Rich Arnberger, Fox Sports Sunday, live from the TireRack.com studios. Again, I'm checking my Twitter account, which apparently is just connected to Monsi's, whatever... I, I, I'm I'm tagged in with everything with Monsi, but here's the thing: I, they had this. Uh, this guy said uh, Ornberger and Hartman can't wait to flex on social media with their inner Miami hot pink messy gear. Yeah, like the rest of the followers are in now. Of course, Messi is going to be coming to uh, MLS. Uh, I I was, yeah, you know, I was in LA when Beckham. You know, showed up with a gal. It was a huge story. I mean, it, and at least for one match, everybody showed up. I remember Tom Cruise was, everybody was there, and then not so much. Um, but do you have a lot of pink gear? Uh, I'm going to ask him before I get to Monsi. Uh, Rich, do you, do you sport a lot of pink? No, and that was at the behest of my wife. Mm. Um, I call it medium rare. Or mm-hmm. salmon when I'm wearing pink, <laughs> right? You know, I try to, I try to, you know, man it up a little bit. Um, but, but the the reality is, it's pink, and I think I look devastatingly handsome in it. Yeah. And um, I have actually one pink, uh, like dress shirt, like yeah. you know, it's a, a custom shirt. It is pink. I've got a pink polo. Um, mm, I think it's a Walker Cup polo that I wear, mm. and uh, absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, but again, yeah, it, much to the chagrin of my wife that I even have it in the closet and mm. rare do I ever put it on in her presence because her her instantaneous commentary is, take that off immediately, you look like an idiot. Um, I don't know if it's because I don't have the complexion for the color or maybe it's my body type doesn't suit her eye. Or- Actually, you know, first of all, I don't have to Ooh. ask Sam because I've seen Sam in pink many oh, yeah. times. Sam's yeah, yeah. Sam's a big what? pink guy. Sam, Sam's I'm wearing, basically, actually, I'm wearing pink right now. Yeah, yeah. You're basically pink all the time. It's very, yeah. it's yeah. very dull Meanwhile, pink. Meanwhile, Bo is not a pink person at all. No. I mean, he's a Kelly Green guy. He's a green guy. Um, 
Um, all right, Monsi, I'm, I'm sure you're looking at the same picture I oh, am. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I, I, that's it. Buy me one. I'm yeah. wearing that. You're wearing that. <laughs> I'll you're, wear you got that. that pink uh, inner Done. Miami hot pink messy gear. Ready. Ready to rock it. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> we can switch up your polo for one of these. Steve, there's also a... First of all, Monsi, <laughs> nothing's going to switch up my weekend gear. Yeah. I yeah. wear literally the same thing every Saturday and Sunday. And I never going to change. Steve, aren't you going to jump on the bandwagon of dressing like Ken from Bar? There's this thing now, this trend of dress like Ken from Barbie and Ken. Well, the movie coming out. Well, Ryan the movie Bar- the movie Barbie. Hot uh, pink. Some of the, the actually looks really good. The movie looks compelling. It doesn't. Um, no, the plot. The plot looks cool. It looks stupid. No, it. I, I disagree. What, what, what is? No. The, I mean, I'm trying to figure out the audience. And, and look, and I'm. Yeah, it's, it's, it looks kind of interesting. It's not against Ryan Gosling or... It's not yeah. something I'd re- I'd usually follow up on, but honestly, the plot looks sort of interesting. Like, they're taken out of their perfect little world, and they're thrown in this Barbie new becoming world. humanized doesn't really intrigue me. I don't know. I mean, I, don't know. I, I think it can be stupid and compelling at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> Greta Gerwig, who's a very a, a great director, I mean, I, I don't know where she's going with this. We'll find out. Yeah, no, but um, I, I think it could be both. No, I, pink's okay with me. I, I don't mind the color. Pink. I think it. Uh, I think it's good. You know. I. I look the messy jersey. I think it is going to give you street cred. Yeah. Uh, certainly, if you're planning a trip to South Beach. So, uh, I, if I order it, I'm going to have to hide it from my wife. Otherwise, she'll throw it in the trash can. I have no idea how much those are going for, but I'm guessing, considering how much Inter Miami just paid him, mm. uh, those are probably one thousand dollar jerseys. Yeah, uh, yeah, off the official MLS website. Well, of course, MLS coming to San Diego, Rich. So I guess uh, eventually you'll be able to see Messi out there if he's still playing out there. Hey, I want to I want to get to this uh, point of it. I I don't know about you, but Michael Malone, Mike Malone. I guess he likes Michael, like he's like Michael Jordan, right? Sure. So Michael Malone, the coach of the Denver Nuggets, is he's hilarious, right? Remember when they won Game One of the Western Conference Finals? And he was bitching and moaning that everyone was only talking about the Lakers. He was saying, you know, we win the game and all you want to talk about is the Lakers. Now it's the opposite. All you guys want to talk about is us and you don't want to talk about the other team. I've been wildly entertained by Malone. I mean, this guy has got a loose screw. He's all over the place. First, he, he's complaining they're not getting enough attention. Then he's they were getting too much attention. I also love when he said, when they go back to Denver, I don't want the players reading the newspapers. How many Denver Nuggets players do you think are reading a newspaper? My guess is money. Maybe they're checking out the internet and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, look, but he's trying to find unique ways to (laughs) motivate his team, and he's using the press in order to do it. Well, isn't that really all it comes down to now for a coach? I mean, in some ways, it's always been that. Your your job is to win. (laughs) That's why we hired you. We hired you to win more games than you lose. Uh, and how you motivate a team. I mean, you've seen it all in your career. Yeah. I mean, there's different approaches. You could be low-key. You could be a holler guy, a scream guy. It, it works for some, doesn't for others. Uh, but personally, if the Nuggets close it out tomorrow or eventually do win this series, I give Malone credit. It, it's It's got to be difficult in a day and age where the players are so handsomely compensated for their play and i don't begrudge that you get what you whatever they give you um but it i've said this i was in the company of pat riley 
as a coach and Phil Jackson. And the reason they were so successful coaching superstar players is that they were the biggest ego in the room. Pat Riley's ego was bigger than Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Phil Jackson's ego was bigger than Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. I know. And sometimes that's what it takes. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, I know you're one to quickly dismiss the impact of these coaches, especially managers in Major League Baseball and the coaches in the NBA. But it's it's a different game. And I think at very least, give them credit for figuring out whatever it takes to motivate their team. That's well, where they get the credit. Well, look, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, do I think the head coach is as important as it used to be? No. But does it have a level of importance? Absolutely. Managers in Major League Baseball basically have been replaced by analytics teams who are printing out lineups for them, who are, you know, helping in-game decision-making. Whether or not, you know, the writers of baseball want to admit it or or they're trying to maybe even help sustain this – this falsehood that managers have some profound impact on the decisions that are made at the field level. I I don't buy it. I I just, I don't think there's a general manager in major league baseball who allow them to have that sort of power, but in the NBA, the psychology of the locker room and having somebody who can be sort of an armchair therapist and help navigate a regular season of 82 games, 40 of which are on the road and having um, the ability to manipulate emotions in the postseason because it's a long postseason for these NBA players, I I think there's a a higher level of importance. And and frankly, if you look at the compensation, that's the reason why baseball managers are paid so much less than NBA head coaches because I do think that the job requires a lot more talent and tact. I just don't think it necessarily requires them to be great basketball minds They have to be great people persons. They have to be able to understand the chemistry of the locker room. Like you said, sometimes it takes a big ego. Sometimes it takes somebody like Steve Kerr, who appears to have zero ego at all. What? Yeah. Smug is what he is. But the public appearance, at least, of Steve Kerr is he wants the players to lead this team. He wants to hand over decision-making to the players. He wants them to have a role. Sometimes he'll take a seat on the bench, and if a player like Draymond or Steph or Clay is interested and they're having a night off, they'll coach the team. Like you know, I when and has why that are ever you there? I mean, again, again, this is the one thing that has always bothered me about coaches. Like again, there's only one stat for a coach. It's yeah. called wins and losses. That's all I can go by. If you win more games, you keep your job. You lose more games, you lose your job. Um, but you know, I when when I see when I hear a coach or a manager saying we were. We didn't play with motivation tonight. You know, these these players have really got to step it up. And I'm thinking to myself, isn't that your job? That you only have one job. And that's to motivate your team to be better. And if you're blaming the players for not being motivated, then maybe you're not the right guy to be in that locker room. Yeah. Because if I own that team and you're admitting the fact that we were unmotivated and we got to do something better, the players need to step up their game. I'm like, hmm. How much money am I paying you to sit on that bench? <laughs> Look, I I think that an NBA coach is is more of a uh, 
a politician than they are a coach. I think that they need to make everybody feel good, but understand that at the end of the day, this is strictly business. You ever meet a politician in person, like a really good one? Oh, yeah. A really powerful politician? They make you feel like you are the only person in the room. Uh, they, they lead with compliments. They make sure they know how connected they that they are to your issues, and they make sure that they smooth everything over. And there's no such thing as a bad interaction, bad personal interaction with a politician. They make sure of that. Now, publicly, you may hate the platform that they stand on, but almost across the board, when you meet somebody who's yeah, whatever, a diehard Democrat. Uh, a a far-right conservative who's met a politician on the other side and has had a personal interaction. They go, you know what, I hate his politics, but I I have to admit he's a great guy or she's a great woman. You know, I met her in person and she was great to my family and shook my hand and spent some time with us because that's what politicians do. They make everything feel okay even though it's not okay. That's what an NBA coach's job is. Yeah, Yeah. Like, I, no NBA coach is going to go into the NBA playoffs with a bunch of scrubs and out-coach a LeBron-led Lakers team. It's just not happening. You have to have the firepower to contend in the NBA. And everybody knows that. So if you don't have stars, you don't have a chance because these series in the NBA postseason are too long. So any coach, quote-unquote coach, who's worth his salt knows that the most important thing is to latch yourself to a team with superstars, have those superstars trust you, have you be the politician to smooth everything over, even in times of discord or disarray, and you will continue having coaching jobs. That's the reason why the greatest coaches in the history of the NBA have all been linked to absurd superstars. You know, the the Phil Jacksons of the world or the the Pat Riley's of the world or the Steve Kerr's of the world, the Greg Popovich's of the world. They all coached Hall of Famers. That's the reason why they had success. That's the reason why they won championships. Well, this gets back to that old argument with Belichick and Brady. Who made who? And I guess, you know, for years it was like, if, if Tom Brady played for anyone but Belichick, we'd never hear of Tom Brady. And that Change obviously but that, when he went down but to Tampa, that, but that's true. However, and, and, and obviously uh, his former coach hasn't won a single playoff game without him. At the same token, though, if you think about the NFL, what makes the NFL different is you can have the one-off year where a team who doesn't have a great quarterback can go on and win a Super Bowl. Rare. That, that it's it's rare, but it can happen. That can happen in the NBA. It cannot happen in the NBA. You need superstars. Uh, well, no. Did, did, when the Pistons beat the Lakers in 04, that team wasn't a Steve, superstar team. Ben that Wallace? That is 20 years ago. Okay. The NBA has changed a great deal. How about, how about I'll give you a recent example in the NFL. When Nick Foles outdueled Tom Brady for a Super Bowl. I mean, it can still happen in the NFL because coaching matters. In the NBA, coaching doesn't matter. Game plan doesn't matter. Larry Brown mattered. Larry that's right. He that's did. It's my, my personal guy. Uh, all right. Um, let's uh, let's find out what is uh, trending right now as uh, Monsi is sitting by. The configuration of our new studios is great because I can actually see Yeah, Monty. we could see Monty. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing. All right. If I'm busy, you know, if I'm uh, not How here. are those uh, Dodger Stadium tours going? Because last weekend oh. you were, you had like triple duty. Oh, triple duty. Yeah. No, it was a huge success. Because yeah, the Yankees were in town. Correct. On Sunday, we saw 350 guests. Wow. 50 people leaving every 10 minutes. Mm. 
Mm. And I don't know how we did it, but we did it. You just said it. <laughs> I really don't know how we got through it that Sunday, but we got through it. It was a lot of fun. Yes, yeah, so Dodger Stadium tours happen year-round. It was just Yankee Series brought in more guests than we typically get. Uh, and it was a huge, huge success. I, I think I slept for like 12 hours that Sunday. Like, I literally crashed when I got home. I don't even remember. So you got your steps in that day? Oh, and then some. Yeah. And then some. I hear that all the time. My I, son, he works at a restaurant. He uh, goes, I got a lot of steps in today. I was drenched in sweat definitely that Sunday because it was kind of hot. Like, it started, the, the weather has been weird as uh, yeah. we've been discussing. Like, it doesn't, the sun's not out. It's not as hot, but it's also not very cool. Like, we get a little bit of humidity these last couple days. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of sweat, a lot of tears is, I think, what I tweeted or what I posted <laughs> on social media. A lot of sweat and a lot of tears, but we got through it. But I missed you guys, so I'm glad to be back on this Sunday. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Wander Franco of the Rays, he fielded that ball, threw it up to himself, and got the guy out. Uh, the Rays won. Okay, so the Dodgers just lost to the Phillies. Bruce Dark Gratterall, one of our pitchers, they hit a ball to him, and he fielded it and was on the ground, and then he kissed the ball and threw it to first base. When you're losing, don't do that. <laughs> when you're losing, do not play fun in games, okay? You wow. are losing. And it wasn't even a close game. I just I just saw that, and I was like, Bruce Dark, why? Why? Don't do that. The Dodgers lost to the Phillies in Philadelphia. 7-3 was the final score. The Orioles, hey, the gun show was on. Rookie Gunner Henderson, have you guys seen this guy? He's really good. He hit a three-run homer, 462 feet for the Whoa. Orioles. Yes, they wow. took down the Royals. I hate the Orioles and the Royals playing together. It's a tongue twister. But the Orioles, Baltimore won. 11-3 was the final score. The Nationals avoided the sweep. They snapped the Braves' seven-game winning streak, coming out on top 6-2. to The Rays, they win another one, a 7-3 to victory over the Rangers, Wander Franco, we were just talking about him, had a three-run homer in the victory. The Rays have won eight out of their last nine and are 48-20 and for the season. The Pirates, they topped the Mets 2-1. Andrew McCutcheon recorded his 2,000th career hit in the win. The Mets have lost eight out of their last nine. But remember, Mets owner Steve Cohen spoke to the New York Post. He said, don't worry, we're not going to blow anything up. This is just how the season's going to start, supposedly. The Guardians shut out the Astros at home 5-0. Shane Bieber pitched seven innings only gave up three hits and struck out nine. The Diamondbacks, who are first place in the NL West, have won five in a row. They beat the Tigers. Final score, seven to five. Currently going on, it's the Angels who are beating the Mariners at home, 3-0, bottom of the second inning. Taylor Ward had a leadoff homer for the Angels. Jock Peterson had a home run in the bottom of the first inning for the Giants, who are beating the Cubs 2-0 in San Francisco, top of the second inning. The Padres with the lead over the Rockies, 3-1, top of the sixth. The Reds and the Cardinals Cardinals have been back and forth, but it's Cincinnati on top, 4-3, to three, bottom of the eighth. The A's, remember guys, the A's are winning. What is going on? They're still beating the Brewers, 5-3, to three, top of the eighth inning. The White Sox are holding on to their one-run lead over the Marlins at home. It's 5-4. The Marlins have a man on first and second, but they are down to their final out. And the Blue Jays also holding on to one-run lead over the Twins at home, 7-6, top of the ninth. The Twins have a man on first, but they have two outs to go. And, of course, no basketball, no hockey, but we did have the French Open. And it was Novak Djokovic who won his third French Open title, beating Casper Ruud in three sets for a record 23rd Grand Slam men's title, passing Rafael Nadal. And we go back to Luis Arraez. 
Back to you guys. <laughs> that is all over social media. It now. is. Yes, that it is. That is our hot of the. And again, I brought this up with John Paul Morosi right at the top of the show because this guy's hitting 402, right? Right now he's 397. Yeah. Uh, he's had five at bats, one hit for today's game so far. Top of the ninth inning, so 397. I mean, that's still pretty good. But it's not 400. But it's not 400. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I did, I do think Arise is a pretty cool name too. Arise. But it already, uh, you know, with uh, Aaron Judge, All Rise. It's already that's already taken. Mm. We can't. Arise. 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 All right, we found out. I can't do it. Um, all right, Monty, tremendous stuff as always today. We always appreciate always fun. that. Um, the NBA coaching vacancies have been filled, uh, and one guy that did not get tabbed finally for a job is Doc Rivers. Um, <laughs> it's always amazing to me when we talk about recycle coaches and everything else. You know, I was looking back when he was he started his career with Orlando, his coaching career. And he was the coach of the year, his very first year. It really was a remarkable job. It was a roster that had completely been depleted, and he actually got him to 500. And it was it was a pretty good coaching situation. But you are talking earlier, Rich, about having players. So he goes to Boston. In his first three years at Boston, he won 45 games, 33 games, and 24 games. You see a downward trend on that one? He started at 45 and 37. By his third year, he's 24 and 58. And then they bring in Garnett and Ray Allen, and they win the championship. <laughs> now, was he a different coach or whatever? This this is one of those guys that, like I said, he's great with the media. He knows how to sell himself. He knows how to say the right things. But in the bottom line is he went to the Clippers. They were a 55-win team when he got there. They stayed there his entire time. And then obviously with Philadelphia, he wasn't able to take him to another level either. So I think finally around the NBA, someone's gotten wise to the fact that if you're looking to get to that next level, this is definitely not the guy to hire. Yeah. Doc Rivers, it looks like it's – and somebody eventually will hire this guy. Well, yeah. Look, here. here's the thing. But I'm not sure why. It's, it's a political position. This goes back to the conversation we were just having. In the NBA, you have two choices. You either hire a guy who is going to help you develop young players into better NBA stars, or you're going to hire somebody who can handle a locker room with a bunch of big, high-priced um, superstars – and just control the narrative and to play armchair psychologists throughout the course of their journey to winning playoff series or championships. Like, that's basically your two choices. Like, Coach Bud out in Milwaukee was definitely more of the former than the latter. He's the type of coach that you bring in to encourage a young roster and to maximize the uh, development of a roster on your way to having success. And he was able to net a championship out of it. But I don't think that the current, you know, Giannis is going to put up well with a coach who asks so much of its players because that's not what they need right now, or at least not in his, his course of development at this point. He's already established. So where they're at is adding stars, if they can, per their salary cap payroll restrictions, and, and finding a coach who can lead the way um, more of a, a psychologist and a politician. 
And and I think Doc Rivers, after the championship he won in Boston, has really settled into that political role where if he's going to get hired, it's going to be with the team that an ownership group feels like they are the majority of the way there and they just need a guy who's a veteran, who's got his hand on the tiller, who's going to be able to guide the ship and navigate some of the the murky depths of the NBA regular season and postseason on their way to a championship. The problem is he doesn't have any postseason success to crow about since the big win with Boston. So, like you said, it's it's a little befuddling why he's been recycled so many times as a head coach in this league, but at the same token, I understand it because he can project a level of confidence and he has a resume that suggests you should trust him. And so a lot of teams, a lot of teams do. All right. On the other side, our picks for game five of the NBA finals. Do I smell another lock? This is Fox Sports Radio. Reinhardt shoots, blocks, white cloud stick breaks. Centering pass kicked away by Carlson. Five seconds to the right. A shot blocked by McNabb. Rebound is loose, pushed to the corner, and time runs out. The game is over. The Knights survive. Now a big pile in front of the goal. Hill jumps in as well. His helmet is off. Several players tackling each other. The linesman now restrained Hill. Several things are being thrown onto the ice as we speak. The Knights have won game four, barely surviving. That is Fox Sports Las Vegas, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. That is our Progressive Play of the Day, brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Steve Hartman, Rich Orenberger here, uh, once again, live from our TireRack.com studios. Now, that's the way to end a game, with a full-out brawl. I like that. Yeah. 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 It's, um, uh, it's honestly a part of hockey that... I frankly still love and enjoy the. I fact love. That- the, I'm gonna. I'm gonna discuss something with you in a second. First, yeah. of all, I want to make sure we thank everybody today. Sam on the board, as always. Mm. It's great to have him back. Uh, man, Saturday it, night's it, all right for fighting. Yeah, you know. I mean, that is yeah. hockey. You know, if you don't have a brawl, then why? Why exactly are we playing the game? Although it's rare in the playoffs. Yeah, it's you don't really see a lot of that in the playoffs, but. Uh, obviously, last night, uh, things boiled over as the uh, Knights took that 3-1 series Testy. lead. Monty, of course, doing a brilliant job, as she Their always last does. Night. Yeah, she's uh, she's the one that uh, keeps the stirring the drink around here, apparently. Uh, and then there's Bo. Bo, 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 Bo. Oh, Bo. What do we say about Bo? I can't even imagine Bo in pink. You know what I was mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. seeing that hockey fight happen? Hmm. Why isn't there more sportsmanship in professional sports? Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, very Thank quickly, you for Rich, that before out, we... we've run out of time on the show. Yeah. Uh. Um, so <laughs> I am going to be part of a group discussion on Tuesday at the Rose Bowl to discuss why the media doesn't do more to promote sportsmanship. My goal in that meeting is to be thrown out of the room. Um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to show them what sportsmanship is all about. I, I literally, I, I signed up for this, and I'm really wondering why I did because I can only imagine what this is, where this is going to go. Um, there's one thing about sportsmanship at a little league game, and another in professional sports. So uh, just make sure it ends up on YouTube, please. Yeah, I, I'll try, but uh, it could be a very short stay for me in that room. All right, Richie, let's let's talk about tomorrow night's Game Five of the NBA Finals. Nuggets trying to wrap it up. Of course, I made a bold prediction last Sunday. I locked a Miami win 
against the spread, and I couldn't believe I was actually right. Uh, which way are you going in this game tomorrow? Yeah, look, I, I don't think there's any reason to bet against the Denver Nuggets any longer. So I'm going to take Denver. I think that they are the lock to win the NBA Finals. I what is what is, what does Miami do against Nikola Jokic? The answer is nothing. Uh, the best they could do is shoot three-point shots the way they did in Game 2 and just be lights out for a, a dramatic fourth-quarter finish. I just don't see them being able to replicate that success. I got Denver. There's no sense to it at all, which is why I'm going to go with Miami to win Game <laughs> 5 in Denver and then lose Game 6 at home and end the series. There you have it, folks. Okay. Nowhere to go. Just keep it right here. This is Fox Sports Radio. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. 